This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, do we like this movie? This week, we're discussing The Dark Knight. Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm the host that you need but don't deserve. I'm your host, Javi. Nice. I'm going right. to do the whole episode like this. Good luck to your throat. Good luck to your throat. They don't <laughs> call me the throat goat for nothing. <laughs> and uh, here we are, guys. Episode 100. We are here doing The Dark Knight. And I think before we really start talking about this movie... I would like to describe why I nominated this uh, internally for this to be our 100th episode. All right. Because most people who know me, who are my friends or people who are close to me in any way at all, remember how hyped I was when the dark Knight came out in 2008. They remember how this movie really is the movie that got me like into comic books. Um, it came at such a formative time in my life. And I remember at one point in my late teens, early 20s, I might have called it the best movie ever. <laughs> you may have called it the best movie ever like two years ago. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it's when we came up with the idea to start this show, I think everyone was just like, all right, well, they're going to go through all the Dark Knight movies and that's going to be like the biggest episode of the podcast. And, you know, realistically, we did Batman Begins like in our first five episodes. And then, you know, we've come to Batman movies here and there. But for the most part, this podcast has been, you know, we've become a whole hell of a lot less reliant on Batman references as it's gone on. So uh, this is a good opportunity for us to finally come and talk about this movie. It is a long time coming. It's a movie that we've been wanting to talk about for a while, uh, especially with me and Angel being such like huge DC fans. And like it is also really important to kind of talk about how this movie like really like, you know, Batman Begins made superhero movies serious again. And it made them like between this and the Sam Raimi like Spider-Man movies. Yes. Uh, Which we've done. We have we we talked about like you know how Batman Begins brought back like this really serious Batman tone, and then we did our Spider-Man Two episode with our friends Danny and Jose, and that episode we talked about you know just how that second Spider-Man movie really did up the the quality, you know even though you you, you are kind of like the begrudging, you know I liked it, but it was like pulling teeth to get you to admit things that you liked about it. <laughs> Not even. I. You guys swear that I hate Spider-Man <laughs> 2. Like, it's the stupidest meme to come up from this show that people think I hate the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Meanwhile, I, I hung out with my nephew like a week ago, and he's like, Spider-Man 3 stole my favorite Spider-Man movie from Sam Raimi. Nice. 
I was like, I love you, kid. I love that you <laughs> go, you, you know, you march to the, the beat of your own drum right there. <laughs> but no, yeah, what I what I was mentioning is like because those movies brought these back to prominence. This movie was the one that really escalated superhero movies to a whole another level. And without the Dark Knight really pushing the envelope as to the kind of stories you can tell with these goofy ass like spandex color and like multicolored characters you wouldn't get what the mcu has done over the last like 11 years you know you know the snyderverse or these massive like crossover movies that we've come to expect every summer now i think that this movie and all right i'm gonna say it started with spider-man it started with sam raimi's spider-man it came out the especially that first one came out the year right after 9-11 happened right which you know, this is the thing about Dark Knight. Dark Knight is such a post 9-11 movie that it's like up until last year, I probably would have said, you know, 9-11 is one of those defining moments in our lifetimes that like for some reason has just touched every single like American medium like ever since, right? You can't ever watch a movie and see buildings destroyed without like remembering how viral some of those moments went. Uh, from 9-11 like the fact that we were watching clips it was one of the first times that we were watching like like that kind of shocking video on television like on national tv and we were watching it all as it happened so it like there was such a real time thing to it and it really feels like the precursor to like now where everything is just live all the time and then you know i think we're in a position now where like in the next decade, I think, you know, media is going to start dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic in ways that aren't as ridiculous as like that Michael Bay movie that apparently is awful. <laughs> oh, really? I haven't heard anything about it yet. So I've heard that it's absolutely disgusting and, you know, dumb. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not curious about it, but, you know, I am kind of and I kind of want to see this piece of garbage. <laughs> Spider-Man gave us that post 9-11 optimism. You know, like the 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 feeling that all New Yorkers can come together, like specifically for that region. Like it, it felt like the all New Yorkers are coming together and supporting something good, like there, right? Like that is that that is that moment in time. Whereas once you started getting into the Spider-Man sequel, and then particularly once you got into the Batman movies it felt like we were dealing with kind of more of the negative fallout from 9-11. <laughs> so, so it's like enough time had passed by that we were now getting ready to deal with some of that stuff. Not to mention that the main figure in this movie is a politician. And for those of us who cannot, you know, who cannot forget, like I was 18 years old when this movie came out. I had just become an adult. I had graduated from high school the year before. I was in college. I remember how big a deal the Barack Obama election was in 2008. Like this was the Barack Obama election year. Mm -hmm. It was such a big deal. Like, you know, that it, it, you can't like, I, I swear, I can't watch this now without thinking about how much of a time capsule for like 2008 through like 2012. <laughs> this movie is. <laughs> It really is. And it's like, you know, bringing in themes of like 
observe like um what's the word i'm looking for kind of like observation and surveillance bringing in themes of just kind of like anarchy and chaos and a lot of like civil disobedience because you know like literally this movie came out the year of the um you know housing market collapse mm-hmm. and so you know it, it kind of like <laughs> like there's just so much um it, you know it came out in the wake of the patriot act it came out in the wake of all these like you know like like corporations pretty much making a shit ton of shit zillion dollars all because dick cheney was dropping down um you know kickbacks to all his uh arms deals buddies right um, i would but- argue that this movie and one of the problems i have with this movie is that it kind of predates us being a lot more aggressive with how we feel about capitalism this movie posits Batman as the hero while at the same time making him someone who uses un unchecked very like <laughs> yes. unchecked systems of like surveillance as well as like mili- a private militarized like arsenal that he can use for his one man like crusade against crime and it's funny because now nowadays people are just like Oh, no, no, no. Batman is technically the bad guy. <laughs> I think there's a lot of negative thing, ways that you can look at Batman. And I think this and I think the way he's presented in Batman versus Superman are two ways of doing it. Like he's if we're talking about 9-11, like he is basically George Bush in this scenario in some ways, because, you know, it's like re- Republican, a Republican presidential administration basically got from the stuff that happened from 9-11 you got to start wars in the middle east you got to get ridiculous amounts of funding for companies that were owned by people inside the administration like it really just created this new era of like as you said unchecked (laughs) unchecked power and like these wild like like covert you know operations in other places and this movie is a whole lot of that as well. Yeah, like Batman freaking goes and extradites a foreign national, like with zero <laughs> repercussions. Like it's it's wild how much this movie, um, you know, is able to touch on, and how much of a you know commentary really can be on. Uh, like it, it really is something of its time, right? Um, I, so, what is your experience with the Dark Knight when it came out? Like, what is, put me in that time of your life and what that experience was like for you. Well, if I remember correctly, it came out in... 2008. 2008. It actually came out the day before my birthday in 2008. Nice. It released July 14, 2008. Um, so I was probably junior going into senior year. And I wasn't really... Obviously, I wasn't as politically minded as I'm as I am now, being like you know, like eleven years removed from when this movie first came out. Well, clearly, you were a teenager, and now yeah. you're a full grown adult. So back then, I was definitely like it was the you know what it was. It was I was just getting back into comics, and Frank Miller's The Dark Knight. Uh, returns was like that and the watchman were the f- the the two main series or the two main series that uh got me back into comic books mm-hmm. and as a result you know this movie was coming out that summer and then the watchman i think 
uh, was supposed to come out in the spring, like the next spring of my senior year. So I'm like, holy crap, there's a bunch of stuff that I didn't like, I wasn't aware of, you know? And so reading those stories really kind of changed my perspective of heroes and like superheroes and like the story, the type of stories you can tell with them. And it was like, I was preparing for um, pretty much I, like in my head before I read Dark Knight Returns, I was expecting a story much like the previous um the previous uh, Batman Begins, where it's very clear who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, and, you know, what the goals are. I was expecting a very formulaic three-arc, you know, or three-main, like, chapter with your fall of your hero in the middle arc and then the rise at the, at the, uh, at the end where he's able to finally overcome the bad guy. Because, you know, up until now, that was kind of like the formula that these movies were taking, were, were, were doing at this time. Um. So I went in there completely expecting that. I completely expected it to draw in from, from a lot of stuff from The Dark Knight Returns. And I can say, at least even then, I was very pleasantly surprised with what I got by the end of The Dark Knight. Um, and it really did kind of like raise the bar and kind of like, from then on, that was going to be the, the high watermark that I was going to compare all other movies to. And for a long time, a lot of movies could not <laughs> compete. A lot of superhero movies could not compete with The Dark Knight. Hell, a bunch of crime movies couldn't even compete with The Dark Knight. Um, so it was, it was, it was one of those movies that just like, like kind of like you were saying, it hits you at a time where you have these formative years. Um, and it's the movie that got me to start checking out Chris Nolan, and it's the movie that got me excited for Inception. You know, um, which I think came out what three years after this. Or like mm-hmm. two years, two years. yeah. So it, that's the. I think this movie was what also kind of triggered my my cinephileness and really started having me look more into like directors. Because before this, the only director I really followed like that were uh, Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, and that was like my niche right there. That kind of grindhouse, um, expo- like modern exploitation crime guys. So uh, dark, uh, the Dark Knight really had me branch out and try to follow other directors and try different, like, other genres, you know? So I, this movie, uh, leading up to it, I think the comic that I was very much looking forward to because I had read the year before this movie came out and was seeing the trailers and was seeing the fact that we were dealing with similar themes about it, Long Halloween. The Long Halloween is my favorite Batman comic of all time. It deals with the second year of Batman's existence, basically, and it, and in in a in a one year chronology, it kind of goes over like the change that happens in Gotham to where like when Batman Year One happens, it's all mobsters that are the villains, and but by the end of by the end of that book you are now like the mobsters are losing influence to all of these like you know rogues and freaks you know Mm -hmm. and all the classic batman villains the idea kind of being posited that like the appearance of batman is what changes it's what shifts the paradigm of like what crime looks like in gotham city which i it's always kind of an interesting batman thing to me it's the fact uh... that like his appearance is what changes you know the city forever um 
what's that old adage about like is the world's greatest detective good because he solves all every crime or does his existence like invite crime to around him (laughs) right like and that's kind of the thing with batman is is he a crime fighter because he fights crime or does his very existence in gotham make it like this epicenter of these super villainy like villains that want to challenge him you know well, the funny thing is that this movie ends up being very different than what I thought at the end of Batman Begins. So Batman Begins ends, and I swear I thought that this movie was going to be... It was basically going to be like starting with Batman rounding up all the criminals that were on that you know second island in Gotham from Batman Begins. And it was going to be kind of like, like the first half of the movie is going to be him dealing with those people... And among that chaos island, you know, the Joker was going to be one of them and he was going to rise mm-hmm. in influence. Kind of like pretty, No Man's Land. Yeah. What's pretty shocking about this is that despite the fact that, yes, there are ties between this and Batman Begins, the style of it is very, very different. Mm-hmm. It is like, you know, you go and, and I on our Instagram page, I shared like the scene that I think kind of like when I was watching this in movie theaters, I was like, oh my God, this is so different than what I expected. The scene of the, you know, imposter Batman that's like hanging like from the side of a building Mm -hmm. and you're watching them lower the guy like with all these like police officers and firemen and like all the citizens of Gotham around. And Mm -hmm. it looks so real. Real? Like it looks like (laughs) something you see in the real world. There was no green gas everywhere. There was no yeah. like ridiculous orchestration in the background and stuff like that, or like Danny Elfman music like going wild and stuff. It, there was this like grit to it that you know it's like now you make you tease it and it's and it's almost like a gag in itself. But there was real grit in in some of the scenes that you that you were seeing in this movie for the first time. Mm-hmm. Much like <laughs> what I talked about last week with Quentin Tarantino, and in my opinion, Jackie Brown being his best movie. I think mm-hmm. this week we are watching Christopher Nolan's best movie because even though he's made interesting stuff like Inception, Interstellar, you know, whatever he's done and Memento, a lot of people like that. I still think that this is the high point, not only for Batman, not only for maybe comic book movies in general. I think this is Chris Nolan's high point and he's never reached the heights of this movie even since. Oh, my boy Ben Affleck's gonna have a talk with you. <laughs> well, uh, also, of course, like the um, I just want to point out that this talk about the Dark Knight really makes me horny for the Matt Reeves of the Batman. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure it's gonna be really good. I'm very excited for that movie. But yeah, it's the and, and lastly, before we really get into this movie, I have said it before and I will say it again. I think this movie should have not only been nominated for the Oscar for Best Picture, this movie should have won the Oscar for Best Picture in 2008. Yeah. Wait, which, which won the Best Picture of 2008? The movie that won Best Picture in 2008 was a little, not little movie, because it did get big towards the end of the year, but Slumdog Millionaire. Uh, and at this time, uh, at this time, I was 18. I had finally had my own, I had my own job, had my own money, had my car. You know, like, and this was the year, the first year where I was really kind of getting around on my own. Mm-hmm. I was going to school at City College in San Francisco, and they had this, like, really douchey indie theater in San Francisco. And I remember getting off of school one day, like, early, and with some friends, like, 
some classmates like we actually did go to watch slumdog millionaire because this mm-hmm. was ab- this was full-on like beret you know me Angel. wearing a beret and being a snob about movies time in my life and, and you're like e- huh <laughs> yes it was shallow and pedantic <laughs> well even and even though i really do like the movie slumdog millionaire and i still think it's really good it wasn't better than the dark knight it just wasn't mm. so i will I say re- that I need to rewatch Slumdog Millionaire, but I do not think this movie deserved. I, I disagree. This movie didn't need to be best picture. It was good as is. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go into why. I'll go into why. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I said it. I fucking said it. And before we go into it, one thing I do want to say for people who are interested in getting in the comic books. Um, if you do want to follow comic book series that or any comic book, any Batman stories that um, directly are related to the Nolan Christopher Nolan verse, I recommend Batman Year One, uh, the Long Halloween, which Angel was referring to earlier, uh, Dark Knight Returns, which is the story I absolutely love because it has old man Batman, pretty much Ben Affleck Batman from the Justice League movies and from uh, Batman v Superman. Um, Long Halloween, Dark Knight Returns, Batman Year One. Oh, and Batman No Man's Land and Nightfall. So No Man's Land is also the one I alluded to where uh, Batman, uh, you know, Gotham gets separated from the rest of the country and it pretty much falls into control of the supervillains. Batman has to fight back. And then uh, Nightfall is where Batman has to, he deals with Bane for the first time. And you get the iconic scene of Bane breaking Batman's back. Uh, both of those are huge, uh, huge inspirations for uh, the Dark Knight Rises. Which now, since we've already talked about Batman Begins and Dar- <laughs> the Dark Knight, we have to talk about the Dark Knight Rises. So I know Angel will be excited about that one. I'm definitely looking forward to us going back to that. Because... Well, I, I won't even talk about it, but <laughs> yes, I that Dark Knight Rises is probably a movie I'm more interested in revisiting than than maybe even Dark Knight. But yeah, all right. that, may, that makes one of us. So let's jump into this. <laughs> all right, Let, let's talk about superhero heat. <laughs> all right, so <laughs> this movie kicks off with the bank heist, and um, you just said it, Heat, right? Mm-hmm. 1995 Michael Mann movie. Uh, Chris Nolan was pretty blatant about the fact that it's a movie that that really inspired like his Batman movie, which, you know, funny enough, Blade Runner was one of the big inspirations for Batman Begins, which is why the city felt kind of sci-fi in that movie. And they spent a lot of time on the CGI, like Second Island, right, or smaller like island where all the poor people in Gotham lived or all the criminals, whereas like this one, it was very Michael Mann heat meaning it's like broad daylight you know like really lit up like streets and it's just really like slick action (laughs) and that's all that heat is and heat is an awesome movie like one of my favorite movies um so this is a really cool what i like about this opening scene is it does a lot it tells you what you need to know about the joker he's very smart he's uh you know he has no problem setting a plan in motion that gets a bunch of other people killed, uh, robbing money from the mob, which no sane person would do. And um, 
I guess he it seems like he does it to get the mob's attention, you know. And, and it seems like we what we ended Batman Begins with the Joker card and Gordon talking about you know you know armed robbery, double homicide, like these really small time like kind of like crimes. And Batman was talking about looking into it, whereas this is seems like it's the first Joker crime that's going to kind of put him in a different stratosphere, right? Mm-hmm, because He's robbing course. money from the mob, using yep. it as an excuse to get in with the mob. Mm-hmm. And it really does a good job at introducing Heath Ledger's Joker, which I think is the best Joker on film ever. I think that his Oscar for Best Supporting Actor is well-deserved. And he is the best actor in this movie, hands down. My boy Mark Hamill is going to have some words for you. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. All right. You already are, you're already compromised because you love this movie too much. Because I look back and I'm like, this this heist scene, as cool as it is, is really stupid. And I'm going to tell you why. (laughs) One, it deposits the fact that every criminal in Gotham is an idiot because every single person agrees to take this job and everyone was given instructions to kill the next guy. So it's like, if everyone was given these instructions, the only smart dude is the dude that uh, actually tries to turn on the Joker in the middle of the heist, because he was the one that pieced together that they were already had those plans to kill each other. So right off the bat, I'm like, why would anyone agree to the to any of this if that was the instructions given to you by the boss? Two, and this is the big one because this is the most annoying thing that was done in this in the this scene. To this day, I don't get it. But they're supposedly no none of these guys on this job know each other. Nobody knows who the Joker is. Nobody knows what he looks like. So we get the intro to the Joker where he's just supposed to be some random thug standing on the street corner and he gets picked up by the rest of the crew. And it's like, okay, you know, that's fine. So then very next time when we finally do get the reveal of the Joker, he removes his, you know, Pagliacci goat, like, you know, uh, what's it called? The clown mask to reveal he has full Joker makeup on underneath, implying that one he was probably either standing in Joker face paint the entire time he was on the corner or he ditched out for a little bit just to apply his makeup. And I find that infuriating to think about. (laughs) And this is this one, this one, the next one is a little bit ticky tacky, but it's like the whole, there's a lot of requirement of suspension of disbelief when the school bus has to like crash into the bank entrance in that it was just timed perfectly. Like, yeah, like you said, you can say that the Joker is just a genius and he's a smart dude and they they planned this out to the T for the perfect escape. But it's like, the more I think about it, the bus should have had the back end totally destroyed because it crashed into a brick building. And as it drives away, it shouldn't, like, you know, it feels like someone in that caravan of school buses would have noticed a school bus escaping from a, you know, a, a, a wall or something like that. Now, the reason why it took me so long to have a problem with this scene is because I think you said it yourself. You get so caught up in the one, the mystique of the Joker and two, the slate, like the sleek action sequences going on that you're able to like forgive a lot of this stuff. Well, also, if you are like me, 
and you have the Blu-ray of this movie in 4K, the Blu-ray of Dark Knight restores all of these scenes in IMAX. So I'm going to say that I haven't thought about any of this stuff because when I watch this movie on Blu-ray, every time I'm mesmerized by how amazing the IMAX in this scene looks. You're so distracted by the by the shiny new shit that you don't even focus how stupid what's going Look, on. Look, I would this. dare anyone who has never seen the IMAX scenes from Dark Knight outside of maybe even the theaters. I did watch this movie in IMAX when it came out, but for years after, until I actually bought the Blu-ray itself with the scenes and watched it in a 4K television, it's the best experience I've had with it since theaters. Yeah, but IMAX doesn't change shitty writing is my point. (laughs) It it doesn't make the writing suddenly good. Well, no, no, no. But the thing is like, I mean, you don't have to get caught up in that many details, right? The idea, like, none of these guys know who the other one is. The, the idea is that even though Joker is standing there with a clown mask, it's very likely that he's been identified by the clothes he's wearing and not by the mask that he's holding or that the makeup that he may have had on his face. That's, not to mention, even more, that's even more stupid, though, because then the criminals are even talking about how he wears Joker or he wears clown face paint. So it's like, oh, yeah, he wears clown face paint. Let's pick up this totally unrelated guy in clown face paint. All right. Well, you can go ahead and get caught up in those details if you want. I'm going to yeah. tell you that. <laughs> Don't. That, I'm, no, I'm, what I'm going to say <laughs> is that nobody who watches this movie has the problems that you're having with it right now. Don't don't trivialize the faults and logic of this movie because you're so you have such a boner for IMAX, okay? All right. You know I'm right deep down in your fucking soul. Well, the Pagliacci mask is cool because it comes from a Batman '66 episode where uh, Cesar Romero's Joker is wearing that same mask, um, and we get that's the reveal of Heath Ledger's Joker. Yeah. Uh, also, William Fickner is the bank manager in this, and William Fickner plays. Uh, a kind of criminal in heat so he's like the only actor who like (laughs) comes back from that movie and uh it's got like a good obvious way of of letting you know what the influence here is yeah pretty much i think what this scene also does it just sets up that you're in a world without rules now batman may have rounded up all the criminals that were on that other island but it's clear that Gotham City still has a bit of a crime problem. And even the next montage shows you that where we get Killian Murphy coming back as a scarecrow. He's now, instead of being like the ma- one of the main villains who's been poisoning the entire city, you know, his influence has reduced to a point to such a point where he's basically like now dealing laced drugs <laughs> to like to criminals in Gotham City. And they also bring back the Chechen, who's my favorite character. <laughs> Right, I think which, they just like named him in in Batman Begins, but here we actually see who he is. And I lo- was he I don't in know. Batman Begins? I don't remember this guy at all. No, they he wasn't in it, but they I think they do mention him. They just like okay. mention about a Chechen or some shit like that, uh, because he's not even given a name. He's just referred to as the Chechen. Mm-hmm. But he does have some of the coolest lines, like "Oh, my, my business hungry? runs on." Hold on, wait, I got this. My business runs on repeat customers. <laughs> I must feed my dogs. My dogs are hungry. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, we also get the uh, we get that uh, what's it called? Um, 
kind of like the Sons of Batman-esque group from the Dark mm-hmm. Knight Returns. We have those vigilantes uh, wearing kind of like homemade uh, like battle gear <laughs> that try to like try to uh, bust the this drug deal going on with their own firearms. And of course, we get the return of the tumbler. Is that what it's called? The tumbler, the the, the bat tank. I think that's what they that's what they called it originally. But yeah, we get the return where Batman is able to, you know, he comes on the scene. He pretty much takes over completely. We get to see a lot of his, a uh, lot of cool gear, including uh, some weird, like, what looks like, what's it called? A uh, robotic grip thing that lets him, like, bend the barrels of rifles <laughs> and, like, shed over, or, like, tear open, um, tear open the, uh, the, the van when uh, the Scarecrow is trying to get away. So after he, you know, die, pretty much dive bombs on uh, Scarecrow's van, stopping him, he's able to kind of apprehend everybody, including the vigilantes. And we, we get a very interesting exchange between one of the vigilantes and Batman because, you know, we get that, that line where he's like, well, you know, what makes me so different from you? You know, I'm trying to, you've inspired me to kind of like stand up for Gotham. Uh, what makes me so different, right? And of course, we get the, the meme line of "You're not wearing," or was it? "I'm not wearing hockey pants." <laughs> so uh, you know, pretty much Batman and, and Batman begins. Bruce really wanted to inspire Gotham and prove that there's hope for this city yet, and he's done that. You know, he's inspired people to take up and and do something to take back their city, uh, which you know unfortunately they're also putting themselves in danger so that's something that now batman has to deal with not only with what this movie does is it gives you the idea that not only was there good that came out of batman begins but there was also consequences to the decisions that bruce made bruce wayne made and as you said inspiring people as a symbol is one thing you're basically everlasting um but now it's like this is the negative outcome it's yet especially in a country like our country you know, if someone is inspired by something, the first thing they're going to do is grab a gun. And um, yeah, it's like, <laughs> you know, we live in a world where everyone wants to protect their Second Amendment now. Well, everyone always has. <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's not hard to imagine a bunch of Second Amendment Batmans in hockey pads, like running through a metropolitan city, trying to dish out their own brand of justice. I mean, shit, there was real-life vigilantes out in Seattle. I don't know if you remember that story. Mm-hmm. Like, around this time, there was that dude, Phoenix Jones, that was going around macing people and, like, karate chopping bad guys. There was the storming of the U.S. Capitol that happened in, ja- in, in January. There was, like, a bunch of guys who were, like, hopped up on all these uh, online freaking uh, conspiracies and everything, so... You know. Yeah, but my thing was fun and cool. Yours was cruel and hurtful. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. But that's the point of this, <laughs> but yeah, right? Of is, course, there's some good to go with the bad. These guys putting themselves in danger, trying to do what Batman's doing. Like there's this is played up for a gag in this scene, mm-hmm. but in all actuality, like that it, it feeds into the realism in that it's telling you, yeah, this is what happens when one of these things happen. Everyone want, everyone else wants to do this. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe this movie introduced the concept of your everyday citizens doing something like this into the zeitgeist. Because I think this is the only thing we can look back with hindsight, especially after the January 6th insurrection attempt, you know? 
Well, the next like, thing after that, right? After we get this scene and we're main, this this is the section of the movie where we're introduced to Harvey Dent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I made it a point to talk about the Did Barack Obama. I made it a point to talk about the Barack Obama um, election from that year because very much like the Harvey Dent stuff in this movie, like it's just, and I don't think that the, that the filmmakers obviously intended this because it was happening such in parallel but mm-hmm. it's so crazy that, like, in the same year, like, that you're watching this movie where everyone's talking about how they have hope now, like, the city's mm-hmm. going to be better, like, things are going to change for the first time in a long time in ways you've never seen before. And, like, all these thoughts about, you know, what's going to happen when we get a black president, like, that was happening in the country as well. Mm-hmm. Um, our politics were, you know, our presidential elections were less outwardly um, aggressive than they are now like you know we people... hadn't created a cult of personality around our politicians <laughs> yeah but i do but i think I do obama think... was on his way to getting yeah. that absolutely but... and, and you know it's it's one of those things where i think harvey dent very much represents like oh this guy's gonna do things that we absolutely never thought before he's gonna change everything to an extent that we've never seen before much like barack obama and then and then barack obama gets elected and he makes great strides in certain areas, but he's also very much like, you know, known for running drone strikes in the Middle East, had very much con- uh, continued a lot of those uh, Middle Eastern war policies and, you know, the stuff that's happening right now in Israel and Palestine, like all that stuff like that, that, that kind of kicked off with the Bush years. It's not like <clears throat> it's not like uh, Barack Obama made such a big and I don't want to turn it into a politics podcast at all. But I'm saying it's like it's it's a, it's those things that continued, and I think a great scene in this movie is the scene where, uh, you know, the attempted assassination of the mayor, where Joker like you know has set up and put in the newspaper that he is going to kill the mayor. He ends up like shooting Gordon instead, and Harvey Dent ends up kidnapping one of the shooters from there, and is kind of threatening him with a gun and stuff like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because that is such a good scene of telling you, all right, well, this is the White Knight. This is the guy who we all thought was going to be this new incorruptible force for good. If you read comic books, you know he's going to become Two Face. Yep. But the interest <laughs> in it is finding out how it happens, right? On in what is a surprise to nobody who's read a comic book. <laughs> <laughs> but so, in this scene, Batman is very right when he talks about how if Harvey Dent is caught doing this and undoes, every, it can undo everything. Because it's basically showing that you're not as different as you think you are. <laughs> you mm-hmm. you're putting a new face on something that we're already doing. And pretty and I much, I think that, in some ways, I think American elections in general are like that. <laughs> and that's pretty much the way Harvey Dent is able to to work his way into the circle of trust between, um, you know, the M- Gotham MCU, Gordon. Batman and they kind of they're able to create that that trinity right like the uh the trinity from uh the long halloween where Harvey Dent and uh commissioner well at this point lieutenant gordon and a batman kind of vow to do everything they can to uh protect Gotham from crime mm-hmm. and you know, like there's the, and you know, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of like interesting dialogue. There's a lot of things that are thrown around. I think it's during this time that we, we hear about how 
um harvey dent was a part of inter or you know he was a part of an ia investigation on it on a lot of gordon's like police officers when he first took over the mcu um but by, by which i mean major crimes unit not the uh you know the marvel, <laughs> marvel cinematic, cinematic universe, universe. exactly <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, like we, we learn about how they're um, pretty much how their partnership works and that Batman does a lot of the he's the one that provides the leads for uh, Gordon and his uh, team to be able to work on. And then, of course, Harvey Dent is the one that prosecutes them. Right. Um, in, in the comics, uh, specifically year one, Batman actually gets in with Harvey Dent first before he like starts you know, dealing with Jim Gordon. In this one, it's, it's very clear he's working with Jim Gordon after the first movie. That awesome ending from Batman Begins, the, you know, I never said thank you and you'll never have to scene, which is such a fucking awesome ending to a movie. <clears throat> but, um, <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> but it's like, yes, the once these three guys are linked up together, I feel like that's the heart of the movie. And, mm-hmm. and that's awesome to me. I, like, it's just, it's such an interesting point and because I felt like this was the moment in Batman, like, you know, this new Batman franchise when it was like, all right, we're not chasing Spider-Man anymore. Mm-hmm. Now it's all the Batman villains. And now we're doing something completely that feels more Batman than anything. Because that first movie, there was a lot of stuff that was very Batman in it. Mm-hmm. But because Batman is so tied to his villains, the fact that you were using lesser known villains and henchmen like Zaz and Scarecrow and you know, the League of Assassins and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Those are lesser known Batman villains. When you're bringing yeah. in the Joker and you have Two-Face, which are two of the more famous villains at Batman's rogues gallery, and you're doing it in such a good way. I think Aaron Eckhart is a really good actor in this. Mm-hmm. Um, he's probably, yeah, Christian Bale's probably the weakest of the three. Um, Let's be real. Like, Christian Bale, like, I'm not saying he's a bad Batman, but of you know of the of all the acting performances, he's definitely not like you're not here for him. No, I think Batman is less of an actual character and more of a function in this. And I think the pe- the people critique like you know uh, characters in Chris Nolan movies and how like they're very cold and cerebral and stuff like that. And I think Batman kind of he he, he well he well articulates that you know. Mm-hmm. Every he feels robotic, and it's like you kind of get why he's doing what he's doing. But I think the fact that he wants to make Harvey be the new symbol of hope for Gotham, so that he can, you know, go back with Rachel and stuff like that, it's pretty weak. Kind of, <laughs> it's a, it's it's a very weak motivation for him. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of it because it's one, it's very out of character for Bruce to be like, "I'm gonna pick love over my weird obsession with beating poor people," you know. And he's like, and then he like keeps coming back to that, like where, cause you know, the big thing about Batman is his, his a lot of his mentality is fuck it. I'll do it myself. Cause I'm good at it. <laughs> so it's like to see a Batman that's essentially like, just doesn't want to be Batman anymore. Like it, it does have the possibility of being a very interesting story beat, but the way it pull, it's pulled off here, like you said, it's very weak and it's a very flimsy motivation um but because of that we do get the awesome line uh from aaron eckhart because of course he's the golden boy he speaks in all these it feels like every time he talks he talks in these huge like platitudes and like every line is supposed to be a quote for the paper 
but you know like there's that scene where he goes to dinner and then he started you know they started debating over whether batman has the right to um you know act outside of the law and how uh harvey just kind of like he 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 may not agree with batman's methods but he understands why he does what he does and we get the line of you know you either uh you know die a hero live long enough to see yourself become the villain and that's kind of the moment where bruce realizes that yeah this is the guy you know that he doesn't need to hide behind a mask he can actually save gotham in a way i can't looking at this from a modern lens and given the fact that we just dealt with four years of a presidential administration that was very good and even now certain political parties are good at pretending that rules don't apply to them and are very happy to suspend democracy when it fits them. I have problems with the fact that Harvey Dent, <laughs> that Harvey Dent is so willing to tell these stories about like, I don't know if it was the Romans or the Greeks that he talked about how they would suspend democracy to have one person uh, give one person the authority to protect them and how mm-hmm. he thought that was something noble <laughs> like you know like looking at this oh, no, from a very, modern lens it's highly it's concerning very, looking at it from a post 9 11 yeah it sounds like he's very much in 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 pro fascism in this one statement mm-hmm. because it's like you need fascism to beat crime and it's like <laughs> no you don't you don't really need to like right but the the scene the scene of them on the rooftop putting together the plan to get all of gotham's criminals now that they're all working with the joker you know the joker they're like he's there but we're not really going to pay attention to him to us it's getting the mob that's what we want so of course how do you get the mob you got to get to their money Mm -hmm. so i know like you just said that the joker doesn't matter he's there meanwhile the joker Speaking about the Joker, let's get to one of my favorite parts in the movie, the good old like uh, powwow between all the all the mob bosses, right? So you got the Chechen, you got Gamble, played by Michael J. White, and then you got uh, Sal Maroney, played by, oh my god. Eric Roberts is Julia Roberts' brother. Okay. And in comes the Joker wearing a, a new suited and booted, just like this, this sick purple suit. And he starts spouting off about how, how he knows why they like to have their meetings in the middle of the day. And it's because everyone, every criminal is, in, is afraid of the Batman now. And now Gotham, you know, deserves a different kind of criminal in these guys because they're afraid. So he essentially goads the mob into hiring him into killing the Batman for them. Um, because he, you know, he's arguing that Lao, you know, Batman doesn't have a jurisdiction. Batman will literally go all the way to Hong Kong to collect Lao and bring him back and essentially put everyone uh, at risk of being uh, arrested and facing charges. Uh, of course, during this scene, we get the famous pencil scene where uh joker ends up you know putting a pencil on the table and then making it disappear by slamming a dude's head into it like killing him (laughs) and i remember seeing that everyone thought that scene was so freaking cool (laughs) like oh my entire audience gasped and screamed when that happened (laughs) because it's so unexpected it happens so quickly and it's such a bloodless non-gory death which makes you feel even kind of like uncomfortable (laughs) It's even more shocking. Like all the not violence that they like try to show for the Joker is actually 
even more horrifying than what they could have shown you. Remember how that's kind of the principal Texas Chainsaw Massacre did? They were trying to get like a a lighter rating so they didn't show the violence but because they would cut away from violence it made it worse because it left it up to people's imaginations that's the same feeling i got watching the joker do anything in the dark night (laughs) you're just it's good because it, it, it instantly makes him menacing like he can kill someone in the blink of an eye like people in my theater laughed because it was so like sudden and like he goes ta-da and he does that like right after that like everyone mm-hmm. like people are mesmerized by like the entrance of Heath Ledger but the fact that that is the introduction to him like it's what makes it such an excellent like it's what makes this kind of a perfect movie the fact mm-hmm. that it's such a good introduction to its villain oh man and then yeah just like everything about him everything about his character is perfect you know between the mannerisms kind of the cadence the voice he to he chooses to use the the way he even chooses to stand how sometimes he'll be like he'll walk around by being kind of like hunched over which makes him look smaller than batman in some scenes but then like he'll like stand like straight when he's next to other people which makes him look bigger like Everything about him is just has this air of ambiguity to it, which makes you really creeped out because you don't know you don't know what you're gonna get from him. And well, funny enough, around this time, like <clears throat> I was like look two years after this movie came out, I was kind of doing a paper on how like Dark Knight was both kind of a modern western and a modern noir movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um when I was in my noir phase, like I had read somewhere that Heath Ledger's performance of the Joker was based on um, on a character named uh, Tommy Udo, which is played by an actor named uh, Richard Widmark in a 1947 movie called Kiss of Death. And I think I sent you that video of like his performance on YouTube and stuff like that. You kind of get it. He is like this Chicago mobster because there is like this really, really faint hint of a chicago accent in in heath ledger's performance as well mm-hmm. so it's like it's both psychopath or hannibal lecter but then it's also very much like mob enforcer <laughs> like there's something about it that it, it's what makes it so menacing the way he talks he kind of draws certain things out like a really quiet like laugh in some and sometimes and then like his loud laugh is like it sounds like a like a freaking like an animal roaring at you almost it's almost mm-hmm. like a weapon the way he uses it um and it's it's such a good like it's it's so interesting to just kind of discover those things through his character um and it's you know he, he he gets what he needs he sets everyone up to have to hire him to capture batman and at they the give cost him the, of half their money <laughs> yeah we, and so they'll they, now he has all the resources that he needs and the first thing he's gonna do is go on a three-person killing spree, and this spree is going to include Harvey Dent, uh, the judge that is that is threatening to uh, what's it called? Convict judge all Cirilla. of these mobsters on uh, on RICO charges. And for those who don't know, you know, I'm glad that the movie went out of their way to explain what a RICO lawsuit is. Which, funny enough, again, we're talking about a movie that is set like Chicago is the backdrop for it. And mm-hmm. uh, Chicago mobsters, like, you know. I think Al Capone, Al Capone got is down. the most famous of all time. <laughs> oh, no, know? Al Capone got brought down with uh, tax evasion. 
But I think, yeah, they were trying, I think the state was trying to build like a Rico case against him way back when. It's what, it's, it's what, it's what the government has always tried to do with the mob. Mm -hmm. So what was it? Um, I kind of want to circle back before we move on too much from uh, Heath Ledger's uh, portrayal of the Joker. Sure. I remember, I remember reading somewhere that they were saying like his style was very much inspired. Like the, the idea was they wanted to create a grunge version of the Joker because while, you know, they really got the mobster down with uh, Jack Nicholson, what they wanted to do uh, like with the, you know, with the hair and, and definitely like the grimy like face paint uh they were trying to capture that weird chaotic kurt cobain energy <laughs> and i think that's why the the sometimes it looks like the clothes don't fit him too well and like he's got the oversized jacket and stuff which i thought was interesting is that was kind of the vibe they wanted to go for him like it's also a little clockwork orange in some ways as well it's, it's very and that and that's why i really like it it's like very iconoclastic you know like there's a lot of like there's a lot of things going on with this character that shouldn't work, but they do because it's Heath Ledger and he put his everything into this role. <laughs> um, but going back to what you were saying, so yeah, now that the Joker has these means um, to pr- essentially terrorize Batman and Gotham, um, during this time, uh, Batman actually goes on a solo mission <laughs> using Lucius Fox's, uh, you know, Using his position as the head of R and D at uh, Gotham or Gotham at um, Wayne Industries, he's able to use kind of like a decommissioned CIA like what's it called like parachute <laughs> to be able to kind of fly into Hong Kong, low key um, get and extract Lao using w- the uh, sonar technology. The you know this is the intro to the sonar tech that we're going to see later on in the film which plays a huge role later and you know we we get seen you know we get that scene where lucius goes and he plants his phone into the into lao's offices um to serve as kind of like the central uh transponder so that way they can like they can get information as to who's in the office and relay that to batman so he can create a plan of attack so he goes in, beats the shit out of uh, Lao's security team, and is able to extract them uh, by being flown like flown out of Hong Kong. I always think it's hilarious though. Whenever they do, like the way they uh, describe it, pretty much they hire a group of criminals from like China or from like <laughs> or from somewhere in like East Asia that are essentially running like illegal transport businesses and they just pay them a shit ton of money to not talk to the guy and just be there to pick him up and then pretend the guy they pick up isn't Batman. <laughs> For all Bruce Wayne knows, these people are smuggling in people, right? Like this could be like one of those sex slave trade kind of deals. But because what he's looking for is to capture this accountant from Hong Kong, he's not going to care, right? Like, that's the thing. It's like, this is another example of him using nefarious means to get to what he thinks is a good end. And even though, you know, he might have good intentions with it, the point is he's still using difficult means. And I, and I think that this is a thing that will continue in later comic book movies of the 2010s mm-hmm. i think that a movie like uh you know captain america civil war 
or the second Avengers movie, the Sokovia Accords, like all of those kinds of things from those movies, mm-hmm. I think owe a great deal to this. Like this really is where we kick it in motion to the fact that superhero movies are not just a way for us to kind of like have this unwavering optimism like post a disaster but it's also showing us like it's giving us a mirror into how dark the world we live in can really be meanwhile you know smash cut to me talking about how much i love the unwavering optimism in Zack snyder's justice league (laughs) when when superman gets resurrected (laughs) but this is also one of those weird goofy things that bothers me because again it's so out of character for bruce to have to rely on like this rando group of criminals to get him out of Hong Kong when he could literally just do it himself by, I don't know, buying like a a private plane or something and have like, I don't know, have like trusted people get him out of there. I don't It's It's one of those weird things where it's like, it's so different from comic book Bruce that I mean, you know, the style of this, I don't think any other comic book movie can ever capture just the feeling of this it just it doesn't feel like a comic book movie it feels like we talked about heat like it feels like a crime drama and i think that's what kind of makes it unique and even to this day makes it unique like it, like people will talk about how this movie isn't as good as, as people thought it used to be and how other comic book movies are better and they may talk about how avengers endgame is the high watermark for comic book movies now and you, I don't think anybody's wrong for thinking that. I just, you know, I, I just don't think you'll ever, for as good as Avengers Endgame is, and I think it's great, I think it still feels like a comic book movie at the end of the day. I think oh. the only other movie that captures this kind of, like, grit is probably when we did Captain America Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. I think besides that, Winter Soldier, Dark Knight are two movies that have uh, that occupy a unique space, um, and I would say two other movies I, I'd probably let into the into that club are the original Iron Man and um, Black Panther as well. Mm-hmm. Man, you just pissed off a bunch of Marvel fans. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Black Panther and Iron Man are Marvel movies. <laughs> I mean, and also the land, you know, Captain America. You named three Marvel movies, but yeah. you also you also said that you weren't just because I don't want to suck the Avengers dick. It You're like not mean... when I can suck the Batman. Dick. <laughs> it doesn't mean that I don't recognize the really great individual Marvel films that exist. Yeah. All right. So Batman gets Lau back to Gotham. He leaves him in a nice wrapped up package for uh, over at Gotham MCU. And essentially, um, they get him to flip right away. And he is going to name names. And he's essentially going to turn in the mob uh, by turning over their money. Right. So once we get to the scene of Harvey Dent's. Uh party that is thrown by bruce wayne i guess it's supposed to be like a fundraiser for his next next election which makes zero sense because the guy was just elected (laughs) but whatever well i mean i watched four years of donald trump like doing rallies like three months after he got elected so maybe maybe this is maybe this is really forward thinking in that way well this is the one thing that i actually don't this isn't the one nitpicky thing that i don't have a problem with because they immediately explain it 
Because I think I think uh, Harvey Dent even says like I'm not up for re-election for like two years or something like that, and essentially Bruce is like, no, you have one fundraiser with my friends and you're gonna be set for life. Don't worry. Which is a really kind of cynical. Like it's it's just it, it just <laughs> it reminds you of the fact that American elections are really all dependent on how much money you can raise, and it and also very reminds, little else. <laughs> and it also reminds you how Bruce's biggest asset will always be his money. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Bruce Wayne and Tony Stark are similar in the fact that they're probably the least heroic heroes because the means that they have or the superpower that they have is really just the fact that they have money. And it gives them this inflated self sense of importance in some way Mm -hmm. to the cities or the worlds that they live in. (laughs) Meanwhile, the Boy Scouts in their respective universes, which are Captain America and Superman, (laughs) are guys that are actually salt of the earth and had to like struggle and learn how to live within their world. All right. So a big inspiration for The Long Halloween, the comic book is the godfather if you ever watch it there's there are lines from the godfather that are lifted directly into that comic book this is the massacre my boy (laughs) this is the scene where i think i really started to get the feeling of kind of like that godfather that higher elevated cinema kind of deal in that we are going to get the montage which in the godfather we get that ending montage during the baptism where you have like you know all the heads of the New York crime families being killed at the same time in a montage. This is kind of like that. It's the montage so, of the death of the commissioner, uh, Commissioner Loeb, of the death of the judge who is going to indict all of these criminals, and the attempted murder of Harvey Dent. So the montage scene is both the most Godfather and most Batman feeling scene to me. Because it shows just how how much control and how much Joker is able to terrorize the entire city where he is able to mark and attack three very known and very public officials, essentially in the middle of like downtown Gotham. Well, and it's, and it's like the, the way everything takes place so fast and it just happens at this lightning quick speed it feels like you're reading it happen through a comic panel. And I really enjoy how Chris Nolan was able to capture that. And I love how every scene is like every, every part of the montage is very self-contained yet. They're able to just drive home the point very well. You know, it also shows you how important the trio that is leading this movie is right. Like Batman cannot do this alone. And one Mm -hmm. of the things I like about Chris Nolan's Batman is that Bruce Wayne is not alone in this. Like he is the guy who's putting on the costume and going out and doing the missions. But Lucius Fox is building all of the tech for him, keeping mm-hmm. a secret. Um, Commissioner Gordon doesn't know who he is under the mask. But he's providing him access to crime scenes where he can like <laughs> where he's able to investigate things even before the police start doing their investigation. They're quote unquote contaminating the scene. <laughs> Um, and you also have Harvey Dent, which is, again, the political influence that they all need. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and this is also coming at a time when cell phones were just really like the iPhone was going to come out that year. Like 2008 was a huge year. And that's why like the phones in this movie are still like those flip phones or those old text, like Nokia type of phones, mm-hmm. you know, that were still that were still around at that time. And I still had. But the fact that, you know, that Batman 
can communicate with Gordon kind of in real time through texting or calling or communicating along with Lucius. Like it creates this great, it creates this great moment where it's like Harvey Dent is having the moment with Rachel and talking about, you know, all this other stuff. And right at the moment where it looks like, you know, Rachel's about to talk about that. Maybe she has feelings with Bruce Wayne or not. Bruce Wayne comes up and literally strangles, not strangles him. He but puts like, him to sleep. Yeah, puts him, to sleep. <laughs> puts him in a sleeper hold and drags him into another room. And it's like, at first, it's so jarring to see him do that. And then he goes, no, stay in here. And that's when you have uh, Joker showing up <laughs> looking for Harvey Dent. And does she listen? Of course she doesn't. <laughs> because we get the we get the awesome story. That's the other thing that and 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 even though this this one this film in particular doesn't draw a lot from the killing joke. Like it does like the main story doesn't draw from killing joke. I know uh killing joke was a huge inspiration for um for uh heath ledger's portrayal of the joker i think that the long halloween is a big influence on the story of this i think the killing joke is a big influence on the joker in this because I literally just said that. right but i'm saying like like as you said <clears throat> not only is like the idea of his changing origin story which he does mm -hmm. with gamble and then he's going to do here with with rachel dawes so the gamble mm -hmm. story is him talking about how it was his father who was like an addict who like had you know put a blade in his mouth and like cut and gave him the the scars that he has and then to rachel he tells the story about the fact that his wife was the one that got in with like sharks sharks, with, yeah. lone sharks. so they decided <laughs> Wait, to, to so they decided to like she was with literal sharks no 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 no, okay. no. I, I i'm aware that i'm aware of the fact that it was mob sharks <laughs> and not literal animal sharks <laughs> no <laughs> it was like, it was actual great white sharks in like gucci suits <laughs> it was king shark no it's clearly like yes it's clearly mobsters and he you know he tells a story about like you know how she was hurt and now he hurt himself because of it and uh whatever right <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I think everyone knows this by now, but it's always fun to talk about the fact that Maggie Gyllenhaal had not seen what the Joker looked like before this scene. So her very like noticeable like change in demeanor and how uncomfortable she is is all genuine. And she had no idea that Heath Ledger was going to grab her by the face the way he did. <laughs> Well, I think the other thing, too, is uh, obviously Rachel was recast. She was Katie Holmes in the first movie and was replaced with Maggie Gyllenhaal in this. The Maggie Gyllenhaal's brother is Jake, mm -hmm. who we've reviewed in Zodiac and That's the right. Spider-Man movie. <clears throat> and um, but he he but he's also with Heath Ledger in Brokeback Mountain. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, one or the other of those two actors is godfather to the other's children. So oh, Maggie, so Maggie and Heath know each other. Like mm -hmm. they, they are very much people that know each other in real life. So it's got to be interesting to be in that kind of situation. She just like off, like you know the director yells cut. She just gets pissed. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> no, the other guy who's in here is Democratic uh, Senator Patrick Leahy, who mm -hmm. uh, is the guy who like Joker grabs like aggressively from the back of the head and tells him oh. he reminds him of his father. <laughs> 
We will not submit to punks like you. You remind me of my father. <laughs> well, funny enough, here comes the 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 real life uh, story that comes from Patrick Leahy. Is during the January sixth Capitol riots in real life, um, mm. had the Speaker of the House, you know, or the Vice President been killed in that event, uh, you know, Patrick Leahy had to be absconded away from the secrets by the Secret Service along with the Vice President and the Speaker of the House into separate locations because if the Speaker of the House was left incapacitated, then he was the highest ranking member of <laughs> of the party that would have to take on the duties of president had the president lost his seat that day. <laughs> Holy shit, dude. That it's is so wild. interesting. Yeah, the guy in Dark Knight, you know, was was a awful, you know, day away from <laughs> potentially yeah. becoming the si- the sitting president for a little while. <laughs> Fuck, where was Batman that day? <laughs> Things more Bruce. frightening than anything Heath Ledger ever did. To him. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, man, that is fucking wild. Yeah, it's so crazy to think about. Again, it's like, you know, given the fact that we're reviewing this movie years after it's happened and the fact that we probably are experiencing now another one of those moments that's just going to shape the way our entertainment is for the next like 10, 20 years. Mm. I think it's it's interesting to look back at it th- that way. Um, I know. Prepare to see a whole bunch of viral zombie movies coming back <laughs> in the next 10 years. <laughs> Um, the scene, the scene where Batman fights off the goons and Joker, like you know, throws Rachel off the side of the building. He catches her. It's a really good scene. I like the action in it, and it's just like, again, I'm just watching this movie completely wash over me. The only moments, the only shitty part to the action is that it's like that weird quick cut fighting that was popularized thanks to born the born movies mm-hmm. so you know you know it's very like like it's very frantic and it's very like chaotic which i guess yeah that's how realistically a fight is supposed to be but i mean it just makes for very awkward uh like enjoyment of the film of the actual action scenes um but again i do love the fact that that in this movie or in these movies like batman has a much more realistic fighting style it's not like it's not just him throwing haymakers and you know definitely not just boom and pow like style fighting like it looks like he's actually influenced by different martial arts and he and you know it's based on a realistic way of how he can move in his um in his uh in his suit right you actually see kind of even like a muay thai influence because you see a lot of knees and elbows getting thrown as well it's easy um, to forget because the world that this movie is occupied is like in feels so different but this batman was trained by ninjas like mm-hmm. out in like asian countries like <laughs> it is a fighting style that is different you know than than what you would find in the states as you said mm-hmm. um so. from here we really do get the the joker's plan going into motion which by that i mean you know uh he captures one of the imposter batmans puts him on camera much like you know if we were watching the news at the time a lot of what was happening in these middle eastern countries is we were watching these terrorists on television making demands about what they wanted from the u.s cnn would play it for hours and hours and hours a day um 
and it just like reminded you of like the danger that we were constantly under from terrorists in the 2000s mm -hmm. and that is that's really what the function of this scene is is to say look batman needs to turn himself in and if he doesn't and doesn't tell anybody who he is then you know a new person is going to die every day and it just mm -hmm. and what that scene reminds me of is is specifically 9-11 because the day of 9-11 like maybe the 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 damage and the loss of life is is kind of like small compared to something like what we just experienced with the pandemic last year i think one people forget how frightening 9-11 was <clears throat> to us who were like kids around mm -hmm. that time like i was like 11 12 when that happened right mm -hmm. so it's when 9-11 happened my parents were up it had already happened for several hours because we were on the west coast and when I woke up, my parents were like watching Good Morning America <clears throat> and had watched like one of the towers collapsed in real time. And then all of a sudden they were talking about the terrorist attack that happened in D.C. by near the Pentagon building, I think. And then there was the other one that was supposed to hit somewhere in Philadelphia, but ends up landing in an airfield <clears throat> because of the uh, people who fought back on that flight. Mm -hmm. The United 93, I think. Mm -hmm. and it's like in those moments you were just like oh my god what's next like that was mm -hmm. the feeling you had this feeling that like you just saw the worst part of it but oh my god what's going to happen the next time this happens <laughs> and they capture that energy um very well in this film i think the you i think you hit the nail on the head kind of like how there's a lot of unknowing and there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of like chaos that goes on that went on that day and pretty much kind of permeated anytime anything serious happened from then on like i don't know if you remember how there was like a huge power outage in times square like in new york i think something like a like 16 months after 9 11 or some shit like that and people were immediately talking about how it was another like terrorist attack. Everything was a terrorist attack. Like that's all we we were just <laughs> waiting for the next one. And that's pretty much what the people of Gotham are afraid of at this point is now who who is who can be the next person, who can be the next Joker victim, right? Um and, and I think this is the part where he starts targeting uh where he ends up targeting the uh the mayor right and this is the scene where you were talking about where they're trying to figure out what the next step of the plan is mm -hmm. um they find out that the that the mayor has been targeted um and it was at a i believe it was the funeral ceremony for commissioner Loeb. was when you, you find out the plan that uh the joker and his men had actually infiltrated the ceremony itself mm -hmm. dressed up as like honor guard like police officers and during the what is supposed to be like the rifle salute for the fallen uh commissioner um batman is able to deduce that you know someone that the joker is actually at the at the site and he's able to uh, warn gordon and gordon is able to jump in front of the you know in front of the rifle save the mayor uh getting shot in the back as he does so um essentially and i think yeah they 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 essentially just say he died in that in that attempt on his life uh and here is kind of like where the tone of the film changes because it, it's like definitely takes a, a somber note one of our big three is, is down and this is like the scene you were talking about 
where we see Gotham's white knight almost break. And the other thing is the death of Gordon, right? The death of Gordon was a scene that like I had a buddy of mine who watched the movie and cried because he legitimately thought that they were killing uh, Commissioner Gordon in this scene. And it really did feel like at this point, you're like, wow, this movie has no rules. Like anything can happen. So you were like, and they huh. sell it so well, well dude, because, because like, they, they, they have the scene. scene. Yeah. They have the scene of the police coming to his wife's house. Yeah. That's oh, exactly yeah. what I was going to say. <laughs> it's the same house for Batman Begins too. And you're like, oh my God, like they're actually fucking doing this. <laughs> and it's like you see Barbara yelling with like Jim Jr. and they're just like, and he, she's just like, "This is all your fault." And then like when he looks out, you see she's yelling at Batman, and he's just like, just standing in the rain, just kind of like somber as hell. You're just like, "Holy shit!" This movie does not give a shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then so um, Harvey Dent, you know, putting a gun to the uh, to one of the guy's heads. Um, essentially is going to leave it up to chance and flip the the coin. Um, the coin he says uh, helps him make his own luck. Um, saying you know heads he lives, tails he dies. And as he's as he starts flipping it, Batman catches the coin, telling um, Harvey that he is actually like a uh, someone that has like severe mental health issues. He's the kind of person that the Joker preys on and um, manipulates for his own ends Mm -hmm. and actually in a very progressive way is just kind of like it's not his fault he was just kind of used by the joker you know um to which you know batman kind of reprimands harvey and tells him that you know he can't do this if anyone in gotham were to see him or know what he did you know gotham would lose faith in the system and they would lose faith in him Mm mm-hmm so, you know, there's a call for public opinion turns on Batman. Everyone wants him, the, the entire city of Gotham wants him to reveal who he is uh, to end the killings. Um, and Bruce decides that he is actually going to turn himself in, going to the press conference uh, where Harvey Dent gives an impassioned speech about the importance of being able to persevere and not give in to the demands of the Joker and terrorists like him. And, you know, just asking for the city to show him, you know, give him faith um, and that there is hope that this will come to an end. Uh, Of course, a lot of those that are there uh, at the press conference refuse to hear that and they want essentially Batman's head. So uh, before Bruce Wayne has a chance to reveal himself as Batman, uh, Harvey Dent uh, reveals himself line essentially saying that he's actually batman and that uh he turns himself in being arrested on the spot by gcpd which starts essentially the best scene in the movie in my opinion (laughs) i think the movie could end with this scene and it would be like one of the best comic book movies i'd ever seen like i that's how good this is it's the harvey dent transport scene is like one of the most perfect comic book movie scenes it is one of the most well choreographed like stunt scenes you know because a lot of it is done with like practical effects 
is just like chef's kiss fantastic top to bottom it's a great action scene and uh much like the scene of the bank robbery which i was talking about also the scene where batman goes to uh pull lao out of his building to extradite him to gotham city Mm -hmm. this is the third scene where where uh Christopher Nolan used IMAX cameras to capture uh, the action. So again, you and your IMAX. No, but you know what? Like I, again, I really implore anyone who likes this movie and has the means to get a Blu-ray player and the Blu-ray copy of this. This this stuff, specifically this scene, is worth getting on 4K IMAX. I mean, the 4K Blu-ray transfer just so you can see what this looks like because it looks fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. So right off the bat, you know, there, there's a there's a convoy that is gearing up to take uh, Harvey Dent to Gotham Central, I believe, for like booking and to get him to, you know, to arrest him and whatnot. Um, so he says goodbye to Rachel. Uh, Rachel, of course, knowing that Bruce is Batman, implores like Harvey like not go through with this and this is where we learn that the coin that uh harvey has is actually a double-sided heads coin uh which you know going back to the previous scene with him and uh joker's crew we find out that harvey never had any intention of actually killing the guy uh because you know picking tails is death right um so he he tells Rachel that he makes his own luck, leaving the coin as a gift for her. Uh, and he ends up riding out with essentially like something like 18 SWAT guys <laughs> and even like a helicopter that's like marking the um, that's marking their route. And as they're driving through the streets, they get blocked off by a, a like a, a fire truck that's on that was set ablaze already establishing a very eerie tone for what comes next um i thought it was kind of weird that the helicopter didn't see the fire truck on fire beforehand but whatever that's me being nitpicky again (laughs) but we get the scene of um you know the essentially joker's guys taking out a lot of the squad cars taking out a lot of the trucks and just when it looks like that harvey dent's truck is also going to get taken out uh, we get the Batmobile uh, coming in and like say and like last minute cr- like crashing into one of the dumpster trucks or one of the dump trucks, uh, saving Harvey. And then uh, Batman comes back around, and as the Joker fires an RPG at the uh, truck Harvey's in, uh, Batman manages to intercept it using the Batmobile, uh, destroying it. And as, you know, the, the convoy continues, the Joker follows in his semi-truck or in his 18-wheeler. And then we also get introduced to the, essentially what is the, the, the new Bat vehicle for this film, which is the Bat Pod, which is like a motorcycle that detaches. Like it's the entire like left side or right side of the uh, Batmobile detaches. It has like forward cannons and it's like, this really cool looking bike. <laughs> yeah. And the consequence of this scene as well is that this is the last time that we'll see the Tumblr Batmobile in this series. Yeah, that's how it's true. <laughs> so Dark Knight Batmobile. Yeah, yeah. There's an actual consequence to this. So from here on out, we only see Batman using the uh, Bat Pod. Uh, so he rides out to try to catch up to uh, 
to try to catch up to the convoy. Um, a couple of Joker's goons using like grappling hooks managed to knock out the helicopter from the sky. And so uh, Batman using the using the bat pods like grappling hooks ends up kind of like kind of like uh, wrapping around, forcing the 18 wheeler to flip in like over itself end over end. Yes. Causing one of the coolest practical effects crashes I've ever seen. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think someone even, unfortunately, someone even died like in the process of shooting this stunt. I don't know how it happened and, and, and what the Holy details shit. of it is, For but uh, it, w- it was a death that was associated with this movie. Yeah. That's wild. I had no idea. So it's like, so after that, um, Batman manages to take out, you know, the Joker's truck. As the Joker uh, gets out of the truck, he ma- he grabs one uh, like this machine gun, and Batman starts riding at him full speed on the Bat Pod. And they have like this game of chicken, where Batman like considers for a moment just running over the Joker with the Bat Pod, killing like to kill him. Um, but last minute changing direction away from the joker as the joker opens fire uh rolling end over end and also like kind of getting hurt um and as batman is unconscious one of the goons tries to take off bat uh batman's cowl uh and ends up getting electrocuted by it (laughs) to which the joker has like this crazy like laughing fit set to it and then uh, as he is about to uh, essentially, I don't remember if he was trying to take off the mask or trying to kill Batman. He was trying to kill him. And then he's uh, grabbed by a by a SWAT team member behind him. And turns out that the SWAT guy is actually Jim Gordon, who uh, faked his own death, which was a, this this scene actually got applause in our theater. Yeah. Because, again, everyone was everyone really was surprised. So the two scenes that got. So the uh, semi flipping over got the wow reaction of everyone in the mm-hmm. audience. Batman, uh, his the bat uh, pod flipping its tires over to turn him around got an mm-hmm. applause, and then this got applause as well. Like it really was a it's an it was an awesome movie to see in theaters with people for the first time because I think that we were all like it wasn't like the crowd made a bunch of noise like in what you've seen in the Star like Wars movie Endgame or in Avengers <laughs> or yeah Avengers Endgame or something like that like people were stunned at what they were seeing um, like because you have every reason to believe Jim Gordon is dead and so for the misdirect to happen. And then for him to make the comeback in like the weirdest, coolest way possible, and also the fact that it's not really foreshadowed, but you see, like the fact that Jim is is the one driving Harvey, and he's sitting with that really annoying dude that like does not shut up the entire time, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like you know the guy that's always like oh my god that's not good how can this get any but worse? I think that guy I think I think his character really is there to distract you from thinking about who that other SWAT guy oh, is. Oh no, that's a hundred percent what it is. <laughs> it's such a well done misdirect that you're just like you don't even think that 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 guy's gonna do anything. Uh the, the you know the quiet guy driving is gonna do anything, then all of a sudden he's the one that gets the bust. And it's like, of course it's the guy that gets the bust, because it's fucking Jim Gordon, like the baddest dude on in Gotham PD, you know. And that's what gets commissioner that's what gets him uh promoted to commissioner. 
Uh, he has a scene where, you know, he tells his wife that he couldn't risk her safety. And then um, we have now that the Joker has been captured, you know, he doesn't really get a lot of time to relax before he ends up having to go right back to major crimes unit, uh, because this is where we're going to get um, Batman and the Joker in their interrogation scene, which I think <laughs> is the scene of the movie. I think the action scene that we saw is the action scene of the movie. I think mm-hmm. this is the scene of the movie. And I, if you want to look at the heat, uh, you know, the, the allusions to heat and stuff like that, one of the best things about Michael Mann's heat is the fact that, you know, it is a movie that was finally starring Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, like together on screen for the first time. They were both in Godfather 2, but both of them were in different time periods, right? Robert De Niro played young Vito Corleone in like the 19 early 1900s to 1920 and then Michael Corleone uh, Al Pacino was Michael Corleone like in the 1950s and 60s so they were in the same movie but they weren't on screen together and what he did that was so excellent is it did a really good job of keeping these actors away from each other for the longest time until somewhere in the middle of the movie, that's where you get both of them meeting up in the diner scene. And this is essentially the diner scene from Heat. I, you know, this scene is so good because it's such a like, it's a, a, like a, like mental chess game, right? It's like how, you know, can, can these guys break each other? And it's like a microcosm of of the of the entirety of the Dark Knight. It's these two characters that they know each other intimately. Um, well, they get to know each other intimately, uh, being polar opposites, and just knowing how to get you know can can one finally beat best the other? Right. This is the part that feels the most Killing Joke than anything. Mm-hmm. Right. It is because Killing Joke has a lot of Batman and Joker kind of philosophy, like f- philosophy, yeah, philosophizing, <laughs> right, philosophizing with each other. And this is like the scene of them doing that. This is the scene that won Heath Ledger the Oscar. I'm mm-hmm. absolutely convinced because of the actor, the acting that he's doing in this. And basically all he's telling him was, I exist because of you and I'm not going to go back to doing low level crimes. And because now that you're here, you've given me you know, the ability to kind of rise up in the criminal ranks. And all I want to do is set everything into chaos. I don't really care about getting anything. I just want you to break the rule about killing, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and make sure that if you kill me, fine, I still win. Right. And that's very John Doe from seven. (laughs) That's the best part about the Joker is that he, his thing isn't that he needs to win. It's just that you need to lose. Mm hmm. And he needs to break you and he needs to make you break the one rule, which, you know, the in this universe is Batman's no killing rule. Right. And, as, and of and, course, this is in, in the comic books. It always goes back to this is that Batman will do all kinds of terrible things to his other villains. But the one thing he'll never do is kill the Joker, because that means the Joker wins. And what actually brings these two together is the fact that both Rachel Dawes and Harvey Dent had been kidnapped. So now Batman and Gordon need to get the answers out of the Joker where both of them are. And uh, in very 2008 America fashion, pretty much the way Batman tries to get extract the information is literally beating the Joker. Since. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then, it, you know, uh, Gordon has to try to stop him from doing this, but 
you know, Joker finally tells him, you know, the address of where Rachel is and where Harvey is. So Batman is going to go off and try to go rescue Rachel while uh, Gordon and the police try to go rescue Harvey Dent. And uh, we get this really awesome detention, you know, like mm-hmm. Batman is driving the bat pod all the way through the city to get to where he needs to get. And at the very same time, both Harvey Dent and Rachel are waking up, realizing that they're both in different warehouses, uh, you know, attached to like, you know, hundreds of, dr- of oil drums <laughs> that mm-hmm. are that are rigged to explode. Um and it's this scene is awesome. Like it's it's mm-hmm. it's a scene that's easy to forget because it's so like you know because Heath Ledger really is the best actor in the movie. But mm-hmm. the scene you know where where Rachel and Harvey have to comfort each other while knowing that one of them is going to die. It hurts. It's hard it to hurts watch, to and watch. I think it's even harder to watch after because when I first watched this movie. And like if as a live watching it live in 2008 in the movie theater, I was convinced that both of them were going to be rescued. I knew that this is how Harvey was going to get burned, but I figured that Rachel was going to get rescued at the same time. And you know what part the part that breaks your heart is when Batman kicks the door open and you find out that Joker switched the addresses Mm-hmm. and because the music yeah. stops the yeah. music stops it get absolutely quiet and you just and all rachel can hear and the audience can hear is over a speakerphone hearing harvey dance scream why did you come for me you should have been her and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and knowing that the joker or the joker knowing batman would have gone to save rachel is given purpose as like a fuck you purposefully feeds him the wrong address right for, he, you know joker joker saw batman dive out the window to try to rescue rachel so he mm-hmm. knows that he has a thing for her so it was like so perfect and it really <laughs> cements the joker as like this evil villain right and it's like as and then like not only that but you see like seeing rachel's face change and her being like, it's okay, like, it's okay, Harvey, like, everything will be just fine. Like, her, even her coming to terms with the fact that I'm going to die, but at least you'll make it. Mm-hmm. You're just like, fuck, man. Like, it, it is such a well-crafted scene. I think you know? it's, it's one of the more shocking deaths in a comic book movie. It's, it's what, again it elevates this because it does something that you wouldn't think any anyone would do in a movie, right? You know, it's like you don't kill one of the main characters in your movie in a comic book film. The superhero is supposed to save everyone. And in this one, the superhero does not save everyone. And I think something like this, and I, as much as I shit all, take a big fat steamy dump all over Infinity War all the time, I think that the best <laughs> thing in Infinity War really is the ad-lib line from Tom Holland. It's two different ways of playing it. In this one, the reason why Rachel's death is so potent is because it's permanent. She is dead. You know that she's not coming back. She is as dead as fucking disco. Like mm-hmm. it is over for her. There's and no that's... coming back in this universe. <laughs> and that's what makes it difficult. In Avengers, I, the, I always, you know, I talk about this a lot on different episodes. The problem I've always had with Avengers Infinity War is I always knew these characters were going to come back. So mm-hmm. the scenes that everyone thinks are so emotional, I just don't get into them because I know these people are coming back. That said, 
when Peter Parker is freaking the hell out about the fact that he's disintegrating and decides to run up to Tony Stark and hug him, mm-hmm. it's 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 a completely different way of playing the same moment that Rachel is playing now. Mm-hmm. This one, hers is more of like a resignation and she already knows that she's, he's going to die. Whereas like the Peter Parker scene from Infinity War, he's dis- he's like coming to terms with it. Like he's not coming to terms with it. He's realizing it's happening and he's panicking. And that's what makes that scene absolutely fucking heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I, I'm again. I don't mean to shit all over Infinity War. I don't. I, I said one good thing after I reminded everyone how much I don't like some of this shit. In <laughs> we're gonna do that. We're gonna do that movie on this podcast one day. And I'm curious as to how that's gonna turn out. <laughs> I know. I'm. I watch you find out you don't hate it as much as you nearly thought. It's like... true. I mean. Yeah, my feelings on it may change uh, if I ever watch it again. <laughs> and um, essentially, at this point, this is the point of the film when I was talking about like your action or your superhero movie in three parts. This feels like it's supposed to be the low point, right? And then you're supposed to get the triumphant return of your hero from here on out. Yes. Because at this point, we get the awesome shot of Bruce like standing it, in the rubble. Well, yeah. Well, I'm. I, I do like that shot, but the shot I mean specifically, oh. the one is him in his penthouse mm-hmm. with, with the, the mask. mask. <laughs> yeah, just standing with the bat. Like he's still in the suit. He's taken off the gloves and the mask, and he just looks defeated. It, there's something very Batman the animated series about that scene. <laughs> yeah, there's. You're really. You're really right. Like it feels there's something that they really tap into like some Bruce Tim like imagery there, mm-hmm. uh, which mind you, I mean, I still love the scene. I, I still love the shot before where Batman's in the rubble and you see him uh, get like Harvey's coin. Batman in the rubble is nine 11 imagery. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like, you're, you're, so. you're basically watching a scene of Batman at ground zero in nine 11. Like that mm-hmm. is what the purpose of that scene is. And he's holding Harvey Dent's coin because obviously this, this symbolizes the death of an era that mm-hmm. uh, of optimism that we all thought was coming. And it's like, and then the next one is like, you see bat, you see Bruce, Bruce, the man, not the hero Batman, like, you know, just completely vulnerable, completely open and broken and having come to having come to terms with the fact that he failed. And unlike the Zack Snyder Justice League cut, when the Justice League failed, there is no flash to run you back in time and save everything <laughs> last minute, you know? In the Nolan verse, everything is permanent. <laughs> well, and the other and, thing, too, is I think this is one of those scenes where I haven't shouted him out really at all in this episode, but Michael, Michael Caine yeah, returning as, as Alfred. And the fact that I think Michael Caine's best acting moments as Alfred actually come in the next movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, uh, I actually really like the, the there's the scene of the of the uh, the jewel thief that he tells earlier when you know when they're first being Burma. introduced to joker mm-hmm. and then the scene this scene where he talks about you know how batman has to stand for what harvey dent stood for and all of this happened or else you know rachel's death was for nothing so I, you know even though even though the real hero is now in the hospital you know you, they're gonna have to make do with you being the hero now so here you go <laughs> I love the line. I love, yeah, I want to say Alfred has some really good one liners in this one. Like the part where, you know, like right before, um, 
right before Bruce was like resigned to like turning himself in and then um and then he's like well this is your chance to say I told you so and he goes I would never kick you while you're down Master Wayne and as they're walking away he goes but I did tell you so <laughs> and then like there's the part where he's like like you know I'm re- I I I do like the interaction between Bruce and Alfred in in this one in this scene specifically in the you know after after the 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 Rachel's death like you really hammer home the point that everyone in this universe is going to do what needs to be done for the greater good not because it's easy but it's the right thing to do you know like it's also impressive like just looking back on it now like <laughs> how in justice league and batman v superman like how ben affleck and uh what's the actor who plays that alfred in that gosh I michael ironside mike no not michael ironside <laughs> no why am i like naming all the wrong <laughs> actors hold on jeremy irons um yeah, I feel like what's really interesting is that they're both able to kind of carry on a relationship that feels very similar to this. Yeah, <laughs> it's so uncanny so. how similar their uh, their like back and forth between Alfred and Bruce Wayne is. <laughs> to I this. know, I really, I really like it. Um, but you know, like I love the part where he tells Bruce, like you, you need to endure because that's what Batman is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to do what no one else can, and pretty much kind of like give him the kick in the pants to get back into it. Uh, but of course, during this time when he's supposed to be bringing uh, um, breakfast to Bruce, he actually also brings a letter that was left to him by Rachel. And when Bruce tells him that Rachel was supposed to leave Harvey for him, for Bruce, um, you know, Alfred takes away the uh, the letter making up an excuse that it's something that Bruce can look at later Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, Alfred knowing based on the conversation he had with, with Rachel, that Rachel, she picked Harvey and that she was going to make a life with Harvey. Well, she explicitly mentioned it in the letter, right? That she's going to marry Harvey then. Yeah. Cause they read it off that Batman or that Bruce would never be able to not be Batman. Like Mm -hmm. he would, you know, the day that day would never come. And you know, um, again, that's this thing that that even becomes a bigger plot point, shockingly, in in Dark Knight Returns that I didn't like then, and I don't like in the next movie either. So, so you know, it, it's one of the it's quickly forgotten about in this in this area, um, and from there we jump into the scene of uh, Harvey Dent at Gotham General Hospital. Gordon goes to see him, tells him, you know, I need to know which of my men I could trust who picked you up or who, you know, picked up Rachel Dawes and all that kind of stuff. And, and at this point, Harvey Dent is like, not going to like, he knows that Rachel's dead. He's got the coin with the one burnt end on it, basically signifying that he understands she's dead now. And now that the love of his life is gone and half of his face has been burnt off, Harvey Dent is like, yeah, I'm not going to be the person who I was. And in fact, now (laughs) I'm also going to become another agent of chaos. And this is, you know, we talked about Killing Joke. Batman the Killing Joke is very much this, except Joker, in that comic book, Joker's trying to get Gordon to go insane by, mm-hmm. you know, shooting Barbara Gordon, uh, taking him on this wild roller coaster ride. Essentially, like, this is a more, again, gritty, realistic way of getting to that same kind of end that, that Joker wanted in that book. Except in this one, his target was Harvey Dent, and he succeeds in getting him to finally give in. Give in mm-hmm. in this moment, 
you know, and all it takes is the last little nudge from him when he shows up in the hospital in the nurse's outfit. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> so as I forgot what was supposed to happen originally, but Joker ends up calling in. A, oh, that's what it was. Was um, Coleman Reese, the accountant for Wayne Enterprises, actually finds out that Bruce Wayne, or he deduced Bruce Wayne is actually Batman. Uh, due to some very uh, inconsistent like revenue or funding streams going towards research and development and how that coincides around the time of the first Batman appearance. I believe it would have been a year or two years before this. Um, so, you know, we you get that funny scene where he confronts Lucius Fox about it and demands $10 million a year for the rest of his life. Um, to which Lucius responds, so you think that the richest billionaire in the world um, go, spends his time beating criminals with his bare hands and your first choice is to blackmail him? Implying, one, how stupid it sounds, and two, if it's true, is this really what you want to do? <laughs> so Coleman Reese, we don't hear about him for a couple scenes, but he ends up coming back refusing to, or, you know... Um, decided to deciding that he is going to out batman or out bruce wayne as batman um so that the the joker's reign of terror can end however joker ends up changing his mind and calls into the news show that uh reese is at and gives gotham the ultimatum of uh killing reese within the hour or he would blow up a hospital. Um, and so this turn, this like forces everyone to start evacuating all major hospitals, mostly Gotham uh, General, where, uh, where Harvey is uh, currently at. And that's, you know, that's the scene where that you were talking about, Angel, where uh, Joker goes in and he confronts Harvey, where he essentially you know he he has that conversation with them where he convinces them to become an agent of chaos but you know it's like some of the imagery and some of the things he talks about you're just like well you, am i siding with the joker he's actually making some interesting <laughs> well you're si- again this is another one of those really great heath ledger scenes yeah. because you know he, he's at this point in time, we, every week in the news, we were hearing about, you know, a bunch of soldiers getting blown up by IEDs on the side of the mm-hmm. road in Iraq because we were knee deep in the Iraq war at this point in time. Um, you know, crime was one thing. Uh, it's just it's just a reminder of the times that we were living in. Well, I no, will say also, that it's also a reminder kind of the times where we are now, where as long as we hear about these things going on where they're supposed to. Like the the one that got me wasn't necessarily the Palestine, um, <laughs> the stuff well, that's no. happening in Palestine. Well, no, that, that's right not now. what I meant. Like it wasn't necessarily that. It, the one that actually got me, and not necessarily the soldiers being blown up by the IED, but he said something about like a gangbanger or a kid getting shot in like a poor neighborhood or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's the one that really got me because you know, especially where in we a come po- from, yeah, yeah, especially where we come from in a post like, um what was it in a, in a post parkland world where that kind of raised a lot of questions around among like at least here in the bay area some like communities of color being like how can we never have these reactions when this takes place in the quote-unquote hood 
you know, like I felt like that is a very important conversation to have. Yeah, um, it's something that you don't you don't need to be mentioned in here, but the fact mm. that it does again it elevates this. Yeah, because it's now it, it's it's the fact that Joker is aware of the fact that you know it's what he talks about. He goes he he um he talks about how people don't people don't panic you know, about something, even if it's horrifying, you know, Mm -hmm. even if, even if the truth is horrifying, they still won't panic over it unless it's it's something that's according to plan. Yeah. If it's not part of the plan, then they won't. And Mm -hmm. the scene right before this, which is the scene where, you know, Batman's where Bruce Wayne is driving in the Lamborghini, trying to rescue Mm -hmm. Reese from getting killed by people who have, you know, presumably have relatives in hospitals and they're trying to assassinate him on his way out of the television studio. Mm-hmm. Um, while at the very same time we're watching Gordon put together the plan to get uh, Gotham General Hospital, well, all the hospitals in Gotham, but specifically Gotham General because that's where uh, Harvey Dent is, to get mm-hmm. them evacuated. And again, if for some reason, this is like one of the only scenes in the movie where we get the Batman theme. And mm-hmm. It's weird because Batman is not really in the scene. Like Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne is is trying to rescue them but the batman theme is playing while people are getting evacuated from a hospital and thrown onto buses and mm-hmm. it's just like oh my god like i just remember being in the theater sitting there thinking oh my god how far away are we from batman begins at this point mm-hmm. like how different is the world that this movie is in from that last movie that we saw like mm-hmm. it just felt so visceral to be watching what we were watching and because it's so it's just it's how different the two threats are right well the league of league of shadows are supposed to be like this they have like an ultimate campaign again it's just joker is going by what feels like the seat of his pants and is just like this is what i feel like doing today <laughs> so a lot of this movie is our heroes having to react to what the villain has to do you know and and funny enough another thing where it's kind of aged differently is the scene after this once joker and harvey dan finish having their discussion and joker Mm -hmm. exits the hospital (laughs) and uh you know you get the gag of the hospital blowing up which is funny it's a they blew up a real hospital in chicago that was no longer in in uh being used and you know so it makes for an excellent stunt and you do see it in IMAX <laughs> when you're watching it on the Blu-ray. Uh, the explosion. IMAX, I swear. <laughs> um, but then after that, you get Gordon, like, you know, having heard the explosion, confirming that the explosion was Gotham General, which is the hospital that was completely evacuated. Um, which, again, one of the complaints that people have about comic book movies are the fact that superheroes are always willing to destroy buildings. At least in this one, the destruction of a building is something that was so important that they really dedicated the time to making sure people got out of this building alive before it happened. Oh, um, definitely. And, uh, yeah, so from here, Gordon says they got to call the National Guard to show up. And I remember watching this in 08 thinking, oh, my God, it's so weird to just imagine the fact that we'd have a National Guard in an American city trying to keep us safe from a threat when maybe the most horrifying thing we watched all on, on CNN and all the other news networks last year was the fact that National Guard troops and American police officers were literally attacking 
uh, American citizens and tear gassing them mm-hmm. like on tel- on live television last year. So <laughs> I, I, it's just it's one of those things where it's like some of this stuff you're like, yeah, I can't believe this is what we're watching and it feels so modern. And then there's other parts of it. You're like, yeah, that's that's from the time because now <laughs> it's like now, the you know, seeing the National Guard in American City, it's like, yeah, that's one thing. But the but unless they're attacking American citizens or they're being used to specifically move American citizens and news crews out of the way for a photo opportunity for a fascist president, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we've definitely seen more shocking things since then. Um, from here, I guess Harvey Dent has left the hospital now. He shows up at uh, some sort of empty Gotham bar. Uh, and he finds Wirtz, who's one of the uh, detectives in Gordon's unit. And very likely he's the guy who picked up uh, Rachel Dawes, I think, to the point where he even admits it and says he had that he had no idea what they were going to do to her, that he just, you know, worked under the mob and all that kind of stuff. And that's where, you know, at this point, Harvey Dent is full on criminal. He mm-hmm. uh, decides he's that he's, he's he's broken at this point. And and, you know, I, I love the makeup and CGI job that they do on its face. Mm-hmm. It's not very likely that a guy <laughs> that a guy like him would be drinking alcohol when you're literally <laughs> missing skin on the side of your face. It's not very likely <laughs> a guy like him would be alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You would imagine that like just putting a towel on the side of his face would just have blood and muscle everywhere. <laughs> but... That's my favorite gag from Riff Tracks when he uh when he takes the shot i forgot which one of the guys but someone goes oh that was such a bad idea (laughs) (laughs) was it yeah so he ends up killing wurtz and he he essentially goes on a rampage where he confronts sal maroney um talking about kind of what what his role was where he ends up sparing sal's life thanks to the thanks to the coin Mm-hmm. Uh, but he ends up killing uh, Sal's driver while they're both in the car flipping the limo. <laughs> and last year we did a review on Batman Forever, and one of the things that everyone always talks about in that movie is the annoying scene where Tommy Lee Jones keeps flipping the coin just so that he gets the desired result. In this movie, they introduced the two-headed coin as kind of a gag to where Harvey is like, you know, telling Rachel like that that's how he fought, he got his first date with her. Mm-hmm. And even later when he's threatening like to shoot the other guy, he's not really threatening him because it's a two-headed coin and Tails is not, like it's not going to land on Tails and mm-hmm. he's not going to end up killing the guy, but Batman doesn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> and in this one it's just like now we have the regular heads and then we got the charred heads, which is very much indicative of how Two-Face looks now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's it, so he, every, whatever his coin says, that's exactly what he's going to do now. So this is mm-hmm. very much comic accurate Two-Face that we are now diving into. Mm-hmm. And so after that, he ends up, I kind of want to like go through the, the, the two stories like individually and then, you know, eventually meet them afterward. But, you know, the, the essentially the action that happens with Two-Face is that after uh he escapes the car crash he ends up meeting up with uh what, Perez was it was that her name Ramirez Ramirez he ends up meeting with uh, Ramirez who was another dirty uh detective working for the mob who was leaking information he makes her call uh Gordon's wife uh Barbara 
and telling her to bring the family, mm-hmm. um, essentially kidnapping his family and taking them to uh, the rubble of the building where Rachel, Rachel was killed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ends up knocking out Ramirez after uh, flipping the coin and getting heads. And he essentially waits for, um, you know, he ends up calling uh, Gordon and waits for Batman and Gordon to converge later on that night. Um, while while uh, Harvey's on his essentially killing spree, um, you know, we get introduced to the new big end game that the Joker has put up, which is essentially he is threatening to, uh, uh, you know, it's a big grandiose thing where he's uh, – threatening to like blow up the city is the worst thing in this movie i think it, it it's <laughs> it is between this and the actual sonar scene where batman is going to finally capture joker i get that w- where we have to get is batman capturing joker i get that we have to do it in an elaborate way because obviously the awesome fucking chase that we had in the middle of this movie can't you know you can't <laughs> you cannot replicate that again yeah um so the idea is that you know chris nolan maybe even wants to raise the stakes even higher than that but this you know the only thing that this works for is the discussion between batman and lucius fox about how ethical it is uh, that he's using the sonar uh, technology that, you know, Lucius created for him. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> but, why I'm um, like, Lucius, you knew what you were making. Like, I don't know why all of a sudden you're so indignant. About yeah, it. so he creates it. And then Batman, like, you know, he is the one who gets the government contract for Wayne Enterprises, cell phones for the army. Mm-hmm. Very Halliburton, if you're talking about the fact that, you know, our, our vice president was directly funding, uh, it was directly being paid by the American government, you know, for supplying weapons that were in, used in the wars in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. You know, it, again, it's very shadow company, kind of Blackwater, you know, a lot, yeah, Halliburton a lot of... kind of deal. Like that. that is mm-hmm. what that felt like. And that's the discussion that they're having. Um, but you know, remember, these are the good guys. <laughs> right. Because they're doing it for good. Right. And, and I guess like, you know, it's like his thing is, all right, but this is what we need to finally capture this guy. There's no other way that we're going to capture him. So it's like so, we need to make sure that we can map out every which, you know, sonar. No sonar like this exists. <laughs> this is obviously no, I guess the to, sci-fi element of this. <laughs> yeah, and to explain the tech, it essentially what it does is it turns every phone in Gotham, anything with a speaker or like a you know, <laughs> yeah, any any phone or any electronic device essentially into a speaker that can like then be used to map out and echo locate. Uh, where people are and it can be used as actually a uh, as a spy tool and funny enough you don't really think about the fact that batman is a bat (laughs) yeah and it's like you know echolocation bats do that in in the wild like that is a thing Mm. that they're known for (laughs) so um they end up so the idea is that you can turn it on whenever and essentially everyone's phone can then be used as a tool for batman the problem is you can also use that 
to surveil anybody and you can overstep your bounds. So that's the big ethical quandary. But the thing is that the Joker has set up a essentially a prisoner's dilemma where you have two ships um, or you have two, uh, what's it called? Uh, fairies. Uh, fairies. One full of prisoners and one full of like Gothamites. And they're both rigged to explode at midnight unless um you know people trust each other to either not blow each other up to hell or you know one group ends up killing the other by pushing their own detonator so you know that this causes a lot of drama obviously the between like you got a lot of people yelling on the on the Gothamite side, talking about how they had their own, had, you know, the criminals had their time, and you know they made their choices. Now they got to deal with it by dying. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much like you know you watch the news and stuff like that, and anytime you're watching stuff on prison reform or decriminalization of marijuana and stuff like that, and, and just. You know, when we talk about systemic racism and how the criminal justice system is used unfairly against people of color, there is a segment of people who are very against it, will use a mistake that someone has made as a means for them to absolutely, you know, rot and die in jail Mm -hmm. just so that they don't ever have to deal with it and think about it. So it's, you know. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's really awkward to watch under that lens, especially if, you know, with kind of our understanding about the importance of prison reform and how other places run their prison systems. Mm-hmm. But, you know, of course, we're in the U.S., we have a privatized one. It's weird. But essentially, the, the Batman now has to find Joker before uh, that happens. Uh, before you know either fairy ends up deciding to kill each other again needlessly complicated i'm not Mm -hmm. a fan of this i think this is the one thing that you could just absolutely cut just have it be a scene of him using the sonar to catch the joker Mm -hmm. you don't need this extra layer on top of it even though we all like being able to see tiny tiny lister in you know (laughs) have an appearance in the dark night that that part is cool but you know it's just not necessary in this and it just feels like they're trying way too hard. I'm cool with I I'm okay with a um with something to raise the stakes. Um but you're I think you're right. I, it doesn't need to be overcomplicated as it is here. Uh, I get it. It's the whole social experiment and you're trying to prove because this whole mo- the whole movie is dedicated to the idea of hope and how you got to believe in each other and you know with that <laughs> you 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 got to believe that humanity's better than what you know the sum of our worst parts right the only thing i could think of as why this was put in here is much like when we talked about spider-man 2 the train scene where they're all mm-hmm. like jesus lifting him like and, and carrying him through the <laughs> yeah. train yeah as you said it's supposed to be the moment where you know hope wins and mm-hmm. uh harvey Dent, you know and joker loses because people didn't the whole city didn't cave in the same way that maybe Harvey Dent did. And the only reason I think that's the point is because that's exactly what Batman says when he <laughs> apprehends the yeah, Joker. Yeah, I know, but it's just it's like a little ham fisted, the but... bad voice, and it just yeah, <laughs> the fact that he has to say it with the bad voice, I'm just not crazy about it. No. I do like the scene where he finally does capture him. He has to fight off the dogs. Yeah, and, uh, you I know, like very. The... I like the I like the part where the uh, the the hostages are dressed up to look like the clowns, 
and the clowns are dressed up to look like the hostages so there's that added like i thought that would have been perfect if that would have raised the stakes was just batman has to breach before the cops start killing hostages instead of like the bad guys and i think that would have been perfect without having the the prisoner's dilemma thing go on with the fairies um because you know then you have you have that scene where it's like he fights off the the SWAT officers mm-hmm. and he ends up kicking one of them off and then you know you find out that he attached grappling wires to all of them so they all go falling off but they're all hanging off the <laughs> side of the building yeah so like that part's really cool because you see a lot of like how batman is a tactical fighter the way he's able to like you know take out the numbers advantage the way he's able to like prioritize targets and whatnot um i thought that was really cool but um you know it's always nice to see tiny lister do the right thing like that gets mm-hmm. that was nice. <laughs> yeah uh it, okay so once this this whole thing has happened and batman does kind of finally get joker uh, joker like at, at some you know he like has batman like pinned down and that's when Batman uses the flying gauntlets that come up his arm that they, they, you saw earlier at Wayne Tech. Yeah. Uh, and once it hits him in the face, he actually goes flying off the building, very Jack Nicholson Joker, uh, mm-hmm. until, except in this one, you know, instead of Batman just staring at Joker as he falls to his doom, <laughs> Batman actually shoots the grappling hook <laughs> to pick him up and dangle him over the building. Yeah, and... Michael Keaton Batman was a fucking dick. <laughs> <laughs> and I think again, what makes this movie kind of a perfect movie for me is just the fact that this is it. This is the last scene where you're going to see the Joker. It is the last scene of Heath Ledger in this movie, mm. and um, you know it, he gets the awesome scene of "I think you and I are destined to do this forever." I it, love that line. The way it he is, delivers it. Oh my god! It and it has like so. It has such more of like a more. It's got this eeriness to it now, too. The fact mm-hmm. that we knew that he died like before this movie even came out. And we know that, in fact, they will never see each other on film again. At least this Batman and this Joker mm-hmm. will never see each other again. It's almost like a perfect self-contained story that is just tied in a bow for this one. And you can just think, well, maybe they fought each other again in the future. Maybe they didn't, you know, mm-hmm. and it could, it could exist in another universe in your brain. Or yeah. you can make up a headcanon for it later, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about how Harvey is the ace of the hole and as long as Harvey is the one who falls then that's all he needed to prove that he was the winner uh, Batman leaves him dangling uh, he talks about <laughs> that's where he gets the you know in madness is like gravity all it oh, takes is a push, push and that's the exit of him in this movie uh, he's dangling upside down it's just mm-hmm. like it's hard to focus on him while he's talking he's yeah. like his nose is stuffy while he's talking to him so it's like it's this weakened state that you see the joker in and he's all but defeated for this but, film and then and yet somehow it feels like he's winning yes <laughs> you know like that's the that's the crazy part of it I love, yeah, I love the way, I love that line, the uh, gra- madness is like gravity, all it needs is a little push, because it's kind of like this movie's version of everyone, you know, all it takes is for one person to have a bad day from the mm-hmm. killing joke, you know? Or, you know, where we're joke, I think from uh, from killing joke, where he talks about how madness is the, is the emergency exit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. like, it, it's very killing joke. 
uh, all of his dialogue in mm-hmm. these final scenes. From there, we get what I think is the really good climax of this movie. And this is it. Okay, like I said, you're not going to get a better action scene than you got in the middle of the movie. So mm-hmm. this movie has to end on a very good, emotional, dark, <laughs> close, personal this is the three guys that we all thought were going to save the city. And now they're going at it with each other. And they've uh, all been brought to their lowest point in right. that. Like, like Gordon had to fake his death and is on, on the verge of losing his family. Like Harvey Dent has gone full two face and has lost Rachel. Batman has lost Rachel and doesn't and bruce doesn't even know if he can still be batman after tonight you know right like he's 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 very clearly injured from all the fighting that he's had to do this evening and clearly exhausted and essentially as harvey wants to make um gordon pay by uh, by threatening to kill his son uh batman convinces him to use the cane or use the coin to deal out um to deal out justice in the only true fair way, which is by chance. Another thing too, is that much like the Godfather uh, and other film noir, this scene has a really awesome use of shadow in all Mm -hmm. of this, you know, like there's a lot of scenes throughout this movie where it's very subtle, but you'll see that Harvey Dent, like one side of his face is kind of shaded in by shadow, Mm -hmm. like in a lot of the movie, the way he's shot. And then in this, you have like, you know you'll have moments of him like talking quietly and you only see the non-burn side of his face and then when he screams mm-hmm. you know it's not about me it's about what's fair he turns around and you see like the burn side of his face because of, yeah. of how the shadow is like doing it and then you know all gordon and batman like all of them are just engulfed in this darkness in mm-hmm. this and it's just such a good symbolic moment of where we are now is mm-hmm. again this is darker than any other comic book movie you've ever seen I thought that there was parts in Batman versus Superman that were darker than this, but I, just looking back on it again, I, I think that, again, this is the high point for dark, gritty, grim mm-hmm. superhero movies. Other ones are going to make it feel more depressing and not mm-hmm. as good. Like it's just the style, the dialogue, the fact that it's coming <laughs> at the tail end of such a good movie. It's what makes this unique to itself. This is a definitely an emotional gut punch of a scene because it's like you're finally seeing Gotham's heroes get brought down to every other level. The ones that were supposed to be infallible, right? All and the I things that Bruce when... Wayne was telling Alfred that he was going to be at the end of Batman Begins and like the optimism that that movie ends with like is absolutely destroyed by the mm-hmm. end of this movie. And it's like, and I guess that's when you gotta, that's when you gotta think about, I guess what, you know, what we consider dark too, because it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, this is a dark ending, a darker ending, because, you know, like it does, this is, this movie did not follow your, um, your three, your, your, your three part hero arc of a action here or of a superhero movie. Because at the end of the day, the heroes lose, right? Like at this point, the way the way this scene ends is that you know, Batman gets shot, and before um, Harvey can kill, you know, uh, Gordon's son, uh, Batman is actually able to tackle him and essentially throw him off the side of the building or construction area they're at, where he ends up dying. And it's uh, the most mortal that Batman ever looks. 
Oh, 100%. Like, you will never see another movie where they'll pretend and they'll, like, find ways to kind of, like, make it seem like Batman's in trouble and stuff like that. But this legitimately is, like, a, a, a... the Batman, like Batman, looks the most human that he'll ever look in an in like, like he, another movie. Like he looks like he's in trouble. Like you said, by the end of this day, he'd already been in a car accident earlier when he saved <laughs> Reese. He had already he'd already fought his way through an entire like construction site full of goons and cops. Got into a fight with the Joker. And managed to beat him and then still had to make his way across town to try to save like the Gordon's <laughs> had to family. make his way across town to get shot. <laughs> just to get shot. He's like five was in traffic just to get shot. I think the wildest part of this too, before uh before Harvey is tackled, is the scene where he's like just angrily looking at Gordon and like you know, pointing the gun at his son. And telling Gordon to say, look, tell your son it's going to be okay. And lie to him the way I had to lie to Rachel. And then at one point, like, Gordon really does, like, kind of resign to it. And starts telling his son that it's going to be okay. And it's just like, um, it is it is the, yeah, that is the darkest moment in this dark ending. <laughs> that Because that's the thing. Like, I, I'm glad you brought that back. So the thing is with dark, right? There is... Like I, te- I think we tend to confuse dark with like, you know, maybe gratuitous <laughs> or violent, especially now that there's media like The Boys or there's media like Invincible, mm-hmm. like these very violent, um, gritty like pieces of media. And like, while those movies may have dark or th- that stuff may have dark, violent themes, at the end of the day, it's like it's nothing like this right because this movie takes you on such an emotional ride of you know you see the rise and fall of not just like the protectors of gotham but three guys that you know saw each other as friends and um confidants you know it's three guys that trusted each other and they and they had this pact and all it took was this maniac to bring down who they all felt was the best of them and it shows that even the, your heroes, like even even the truest of heroes, can be brought down. And it's like I think the other no, thing there's too, nothing more we, humble. I think the other thing too, if we want to bring it to kind of like a modern context and a in a nine eleven context, is that it's one of those things that uh, that reminded us or told us, right, that the fragility of the systems that we live under. You know, all it took was one airplane flying into a building you know, one morning when no one was expecting it to change the way that all of us have to behave at airports. It changes the way all of us consume media. Mm -hmm. It changed the way that the government can spy on all of us. Like it's one little thing that topples these systems that we think are infallible. It changed where kids that enlisted in the military had to go, you know? (laughs) And then there's the other thing where we, you know, we talk about how, you know, the protests that occurred last year you know it took the it 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 had been happening for years but it took one video of of everyone finally watching a guy die for eight and a half minutes to realize kind of what's been happening for a very long time and then all of a sudden even then you know we have all these systems of government and then all it took was one afternoon for people to find out exactly how underprotected 
uh, mm-hmm. some of the more important rooms in our democracy are. <laughs> oh God! If if, <laughs> if nothing encapsulates Mad Joker energy, it, it it's fucking January sixth. Yeah, like, absolutely. But it it's goes just to like, show you how arbitrary everything is and how nothing has inherent meaning. And literally, if enough people wanted to, they can storm the Capitol and change history if they really felt like it absolutely you know and that is fucking terrifying and humbling and that's what makes this such an excellent ending to this batman ends up uh putting himself as you know making himself the responsible party for all the murders that harvey Dent carried out they Mm -hmm. allow harvey Dent to basically die a martyr and uh it it will keep all of these mobsters and villains like you know in, in in prison uh, Batman's basically going to either be operating in the shadows or retire at this point, which is mm-hmm. absolutely not the way I expected any Batman movie to end. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, then that's where Gordon proclaims that, you know, he isn't that he isn't, uh, you know, like a friend of the police or this isn't like 60s Batman mm-hmm. where Gordon is going to have the bat phone and call him every time he needs his help. Like he's going to be in the shadows. Are, he's gonna going to be silent. To they are going to actively hunt him and they're going to chase him and i love that i love it's ham-fisted and it's cheesy when 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 junior is like but why are we chasing him dad yeah it's super corny and then the fact again again we live in a world where as a generation like we are much more cynical now than we were even when this movie came out but um, but something about it still gets you like the the way the the music swells up and it's like you you're getting that theme like the, you're fine you're getting that Batman theme as he's like runs through the uh through the through the yards and he's getting chased by all the all the cops with the dogs mm-hmm. and he finally gets to the bat pod and you see him ride towards the light and it you know coincides with right as um. As uh, Gordon says, he says he's the silent protector, the Dark Knight, and it just like smash cuts to the you know title card of the Dark Knight. You're just like something. No matter how how uh, cynical or jaded you are, it does like it gives. It still gives me goosebumps that scene because it, it's it's like it does encapsulate what Batman had to be. Um, yes, he, he was like, heroic in a different way than you'd ever seen a hero be heroic before because he let himself become the villain now you know and that you know there is not many movies i can think of maybe the closest character and it's funny you drew the parallel earlier is tony because and then maybe i would even say captain america at the end of civil war yeah but i mean (laughs) captain america is too lovable true but he is basically an enemy of the state at some point in that movie so it's like the fact it's like this again this movie really was the one that shifted the paradigm into saying you know a hero to be heroic you know it's not unheard of for them to be looked at as the villain by the greater society that they live in Mm -hmm. so captain america may be looked at as a traitor by most of the american public because of the influence of Tony Stark, but us as the audience who are watching him understand that he is truly the hero because he's not gonna, you know, he he is kind of American optimism saying that he's not gonna corrupt himself. <laughs> so one thing I did want to go back to is so you asked me, you asked me to paint the picture of what what it was like when I saw this movie originally. 
And now that we've talked about it, I kind of want to talk about this real quick. So my senior year, I was in AP English class. And after watching this film, it really made me wrestle with the concept of heroes and villains because I always, like, everything had been very binary. Like, I, at that point in my life, I was looking at the world through a very, like, black and white lens. And so to have this movie that kind of made me think of my traditional hero and villain roles and kind of, like, subvert expectations and kind of flip them on their heads and shit, like you said, shift those paradigms. I remember one of the uh, projects I got to work on in my AP English class was actually a word project where you talk about and you analyze the cultural significance of certain words, right? Words we use. And I actually picked the word hero. And I, you know, that was my big thing was talking about how heroes and villains are all subjective based on the society you live in and how that can change from one day to the next or how based on whether you're at the top of society or at the bottom, who you view as a hero can be completely different too. Um, and I remember I actually did use quotes from like Batman comics and Batman movies <laughs> to kind of get my point across. <laughs> well, if it's anything, it's even more embarrassing because I kind of did this in college. You were still mm -hmm. in high school. I did this. Oh no, I, I, I did am... this in college, and I thought I was brilliant in college. Oh, shut up! I'm 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 not embarrassed by this. I still think it's brilliant. <laughs> but it was one of those like it was one of those like that. That's the cool thing about this movie is that there it isn't just an it isn't just a crime drama. It isn't just a uh, superhero film. Um, you know, it does kind. Of, it, it does have you question things. You know, it, it presents these like moral quandaries in a way that you can digest them and you can think about it. Especially for your average like movie going folks that just want to watch like a popcorn movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and may not think about you know the world in a philosophical way but um i guess uh i'm already kind of talking about whether i like this movie or not so i'm just <laughs> gonna i'm just gonna gonna go you know go into that direction um i do like this movie i don't think it's a perfect movie um you know like like we said uh there are some things that haven't aged well i'm not a huge fan of kind of like the dialogue that's given to some of these characters, like we said, like, I feel like it can get very ham fisted and very like, it kind of takes you out when they start talking in these big, like hammy, like, this is my thesis statement of the film kind of <laughs> way, whether, and that's the thing that all three of them do it. Joker does it all the time. He's constantly giving you his philosophical like quandaries or what. what he do does think? it all the time, but much like when you watch Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs, like his character is just a lightning, like lightning in a bottle because mm -hmm. it's just the perfect, like it's the perfect intersection of great dialogue and fantastic mm -hmm. acting which no one thought that he was capable of at this point in time. And it really is unfortunate that it's his last full performance. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like, at least now, like he will forever be cemented as like one of the greatest actors of our time because his last movie was this amazing, like 
kind of like iconic performance yeah and you'll never be able to touch it and this is like the high watermark of what the joker character is supposed to be you know this this performance is the reason why joaquin phoenix wins the oscar for joker in 2019 Mm -hmm. and like i said the the this movie has my favorite batman and joker scene the interrogation scene is fucking fantastic the final scene between the between the protectors of Gotham is fucking fantastic, um, and I think I mentioned in the Justice League uh, Zack Snyder cut where I said this is almost the only other Joker and Batman scene that I can think of is that even comes close, and even then it's kind of by a country mile. Is that nightmare scene where mm-hmm. Batman and uh, Joker are talking in the apocalypse world? <laughs> right, like, but. It, this doesn't need the swearing that that scene did. Yeah, <laughs> to it didn't it at shocking. all. And it's like that 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 scene was shocking and cool, but it's also because it also brought in a lot of like comic book elements. This one was just very well written and as its own standalone thing, you know. Um, I hated that Christian Bale didn't drop the voice. <laughs> I yes. think you know how much I hate the gravelly voice. Um, but I mean, he did. You know, he did the dang thing. Um, and he he made up for it with that final performance in that, like, last uh, scene of the film. So, ultimately, I do like it. And I do recommend it. Um, not just to comic book fans, but just, like, fans of crime movies or just, like, any cinephile is going to love this movie no matter what. Um, yeah, of course I like this movie. I don't think it's one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> <laughs> and you I think, fucking lying piece of shit. And I think I, I you well, no, that's what I thought. What that's what I thought when I saw it when I was young. I even thought that a few years ago. But again, you know, as you get older, your taste changes. And I think the fact that this movie is not as, it's not as perfect as I used to think it was, also allows me to view something as we just as we talked about earlier this year or last year, as Captain America. Uh, you know the winter soldier it just reminds me that there's that that thankfully dark knight is not the only movie that is able to go this deep and this good and my hope is that we continue to get these kind of movies like i hope matt reeves batman movie is able to kind of reach some of these heights as well mm-hmm. but as i said i still think that this is the best comic book movie i've ever seen mm-hmm. and that includes even something like avengers that includes justice league of course which I, you know it's cool it's awesome it's a nice experiment um but it's just to me this is it this is like it's like how everyone loves scorsese mobster movies and but when you watch the godfather you just know that the quality of it and the class of it is just a little bit better that's kind of how i feel about this compared to other comic book movies but not compared to other movies in general i think Mm -hmm. that it's i think there's plenty of room for the next decade of movies uh to improve upon this formula and create something that's even better than this and i do think it's the best thing that chris nolan ever made um i'm glad we got to i'm glad we got to see it again i'm glad we got to do it for this show and i'm glad we got to do it at a point in our run of this show where we've done so many other movies (laughs) that we're able to kind of put this in a perspective that's a little bit more a little bit less of a 
bias than we probably would have had like our first year of doing this show oh yeah we totally would have fanboyed out that first year <laughs> i think i think this year after watching a bunch of other movies it really puts in perspective like where this movie stands and kind of what are its strengths and its faults and the fact um, that we're in, in year three of the show right like we we've kind of learned at how looking we we've learned to look at movies in a way that's different than just watching it and talking about it mm-hmm. <laughs> So that's also another thing I appreciate about that. And I also think that the fact that we are watching it like just the week after we watched what I really do think is one of the best movies I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> I probably am just like, yeah, this is really good, but it wasn't this. <laughs> so. This is just, It reminds me of that meme where it's like, this is good, but I like this. And it's the very clearly cringy version of, what, of the thing that was before it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, so oh, thank you guys for joining us for this episode of the show. Uh, thanks for following us for 100 episodes. I think it's really shocking that we've been able to ha- ha- do this show for as long as we did. Dude, we started this in January of 2019, and That's we are right. halfway through 2021 now. I think it's this is literally it's outlasted i think what even our expectations were of this show when we first mm-hmm. started and uh we're, we're just glad that you know we've continued to have a following of people who are listening to the show and uh yeah we appreciate you guys following us and hoping here's to hopefully 100 more right yep. <laughs> so uh, uh hope, we hope you guys continue interacting with us on social media and uh leave us reviews on apple podcasts um so that we can get more of a presence out there um and you know come and join us next weekend next week again uh for our final episode before we have to take a two-week hiatus because for the first time in several years i will be taking a family vacation <laughs> Woo! so yeah angel's gonna be out of country for a little bit um we'll see what's up we gotta think of something that we want to review for the following week and then we're gonna be off for two weeks uh, kind of like at the beginning of summer, or I guess, yeah, well, that would be like the beginning yeah. We'll of be by by end of June, early July, we will be back. Yeah, I think we'll we'll put that. I mean, I don't want to put a date on it because then people will mm-hmm. be like, "Oh, you sure you'll be back?" Shut up, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, random viewer listener. That's in my head that I made up. <laughs> um, I might. I don't know. Like, I'll I'll talk to Angel. Maybe I might do a solo thing. Uh, while he's gone um see how that goes maybe might do some experimental stuff which might quote unquote accidentally get lost and might join our your next <laughs> as one of those lost audio files that i'm too scared to ever post because i'm doing this by myself <laughs> but we'll see what's up but you know again i think angel said it great for those of you that were with us for the last hundred episodes we really appreciate the love for those of you that want to be here for the next hundred we look forward to being there with you guys too Um, Yeah, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Yep, take it easy, y'all.